Welcome, brothers and sisters, to another episode of the XX Mormon Podcast. I am uh, hosting today alone. Uh, Elder Jackson is uh, busy working at a liquor store today. He just got a new job, um, so he's not able to join us on this Sabbath morning. Uh, but I am joined by Potiphar's wife. Hello. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> so welcome to our sacrament service today. So we are going to go through your uh, your Mormon uh, upbringing, your Mormon life, um, uh, dealing with mental health, and then uh, where you're at uh, with leaving the church, basically. Sounds good. Uh, so, uh, so Potiphar's <laughs> wife, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about your early life in the church? You know, if you feel comfortable, tell us where you grew up. What was it like growing up there? And yeah, all of the stuff, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I grew up in Southern California, in kind of a smaller like city for California, mm-hmm. but big compared to other places. <laughs> right, right. Um, I am the youngest of eight children. Oh dear. I have six brothers and one sister. Yeah. Um, the six older ones are very close together. Uh, and then pretty much my mom's doctor looked at my dad when they, she had had, so the youngest of the six is twins, twin boys. Okay. And the doctor said, do you want a wife or do you want more kids? So the doctor pretty much said, you have to stop. Yeah. Um, but eight years later, they had my other brother that's mm-hmm. two years older than me. And then I'm, okay. so my parents were very established. Yeah. I guess I should say. And very prominent already in the LDS community in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a nephew who was born two years after me. So my oldest brother got married, I think when I was one. Yeah. So I have, I actually went to high school with my nephew. He was yeah. a freshman when I was a senior. So that's kind of a fun dynamic. Yeah, I've um, got I've got an aunt who's five years older than me. So my dad came yeah, was so oldest in a huge yeah. family. Yeah. 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 It's it's interesting for sure. Cause yeah. you see how your your parent treats the grandkids, and I'm like, I'm right here. Like you're not treating me like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm getting the brunt. I don't even know. <laughs> Just the anger. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and they're yeah. getting the fun guy. Yeah. Um my dad was a narcissist or I should just say narcissistic tendencies. Maybe, maybe right. he wasn't, but so I grew up. Oh, sorry. Can I ask you about on the topic of narcissism? Cause I see, like, I think I've mentioned this in other episodes is like somebody on Reddit will say, my mom is totally a narcissist because she did like one or two of the, she had these one or two narcissistic traits. And then everybody oh. dogpiles and is like, oh, my God, your mom's totally a narcissist. You need to cut her out of your life, you know, on and on and on. And it's like, well, everybody's kind of got narcissistic tendencies to it. We all do. So I, what, I have narcissistic tendencies. Oh, for sure. I do, too. Like, oh. we all do. We're all kind of growing yeah. and maturing, learning yeah. to be less selfish. So what we're, would, like, when I look at my parents, I'd say the narcissistic things they did, it was generally when they were trying to do the things that the church taught them to do. Yes. And so for the most part, like with my parents, they were just regular, uh, good, loving, wonderful people. The narcissism would come out when they were trying to do the things that the church told them to do. And then usually they come to this like crisis of conscience of like, hmm, the church tells me to do this thing, but long term, it's not going to be good for my relationship with my kids. 
So I am not going to do that thing. But I can no, remember. That didn't happen. But would you say that like the narcissistic traits of your dad were, that's your dad, or was it the church, or did the church make your dad worse, or like how would you describe that? <clears throat> Listening to him and his brothers when they were um, together for like a Thanksgiving after I'd moved back home. Mm-hmm. I found out that my grandpa was a very like hard human being to live with. Mm-hmm. They have very high expectations. My dad is very similar to that. And when you're not meeting those expectations, it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll do, like anything that wasn't the behavior he didn't want, it was always punished. Like I right. remember probably being, I was probably like four or five. And I didn't want to kiss my dad goodnight after family prayer on the cheek because he hadn't shaved. So he was like pokey. Mm -hmm. And I got the belt because I refused to do that. Like that's just kind of putting in like I was supposed to behave a certain way and when he didn't like it. Wow. It. Yeah. Okay. Uh, The younger four siblings Mm -hmm. all struggle with mental illness. Right. So I don't think there's like a coincidence with that, that we all struggle with our self-worth and how we feel about ourselves. And that's directly influenced by how our father treated us. Yeah. And my mom, she is your typical good Mormon woman who just wants to be faithful and do right. And she is an amazing mother, but she never stuck up for us really as far as like my dad was the head of the family. We listened to him. His rule was law. And he, he, that's what I'm looking for. It was either he wanted fear or adoration. There mm-hmm. was no middle ground. Yeah. Like you needed to fear him or adore him. Yeah. So it's, that's a very hard, uh, yeah. Hard to live up to expectations like that. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, and I don't know if it's all church related, I feel like that had a lot to do with it because mm-hmm. would he have still demanded that same, same expectations if he wasn't, didn't have the church telling him what we should be like. Yeah. I like from what I can see is um, my parents would communicate conditional love, at least to, like I'm the oldest of six. Um, so Mm -hmm. to me in the the kind of first two or three siblings, they definitely communicated things in terms of like conditional love, but that was the messaging they got from the church. You have to go Mm -hmm. on a mission. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily like specifically, like if you don't do these things, we won't love you. But there were very, very like all the Mormon standards were like absolute. And if you don't do these things, it'll be very, very disappointing. And Mm -hmm. so I very, like I lived the Mormon life because I wanted to make my parents happy. I think my brother just down from me rebelled against everything. That's where my parents kind of realized, Oh, if we take this hardline stance with Mormonism, we're not going to have a relationship with our son after he finishes high school and moves out of the house. So we've got to change what we're doing. And then they just kind of chilled out. Right. They recognize that. Yeah. Props to them. Um, I feel like all of my siblings kind of had rebellious stages, Mm -hmm. but nowhere near what I did. Right. Because I just kind of was like, my father was accusing me of stuff Mm -hmm. when I wasn't doing it. 
So then I just went out and did it because I was like, I'm already getting yelled at. I'm already getting grounded. I'm already getting in trouble. Yeah. So. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is really. um, Oh, this is eye opening for me because I usually like I see everything through the lens of my own experience. And so when I when I see people talk about how like my Mormon parents were totally narcissists, I'm like, were they really? (laughs) Were they really? <laughs> um, but hearing stories like yours yeah. is kind of like, okay, maybe maybe be a little bit patient when people are, are saying these things. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Because I do think the word narcissistic is, narcissist gets thrown out a lot now. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there really are that many truly narcissistic people. Yeah. But I also think that the church breeds narcissistic men. Absolutely. Because you are handing these 12 year old boys, this power and authority. And as the women in the church, we are taught to respect and like, just what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Just have all this like great. I keep saying you saying respect, but it's not even just that like this reverence Mm -hmm. for the priesthood and how much we need it in our lives. And we've like, Okay, well, I'm going to put up with this just because I need that priesthood holder. Yeah, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I I would no, I agree. I can. So when I was growing up in primary, I had uh, three girls that were my age, and then you know, kind of from the age of five to about eight, all the boys in the ward started moving out, and I'm stuck with these three girls, and their brothers bully them, so then they start to bully me, and then I start mm-hmm. to bully them back. I mean, if you talk to them, they'd probably call me a bully. If you talk to me, I'd call them a bully. You know, it's yeah. kind of hard to. But Isn't that interesting <laughs> that bullies sometimes goes both ways. Yeah. Like you're not, not everyone is innocent. For <laughs> it's sure. not so black and white. For sure. But I'd say I can remember as I start to hit the end of primary and I see the, the ironic priesthood ordination coming, I would say to myself, um, they might. They can have their day here, but in eternity, I will be yeah. the ruler, right? I'm mm-hmm. going to rule over this kind of kind of stuff. Um, so I definitely would say, like, I'm I'm willing enough to say, yeah, I had some pretty messed up thoughts. I don't know if every um, mm. Mormon man would be open enough to say that, but I consider myself yeah. to be pretty average. So that's my pretty average experience. So I imagine your average Mormon man would have thoughts like that at some point in time throughout his life. Whenever he's slighted by a woman, he's just going to think to himself, okay, I'm going to rule over you someday. Mm -hmm. You and all your kind will be subjected to me. Right. Yes. One also growing up in that environment where I saw my mom be so whatever my dad said went, Mm -hmm. you know, like she just, she never had an opinion. What I didn't see was that they, he actually does listen to her behind closed doors Mm -hmm. and she gets to have her opinion and he does listen to her and he does respect like her thoughts and opinions, but she just doesn't give her opinion very much. Right. So that's all I saw was her just being submissive and just not questioning, just going with whatever and letting certain things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, I got, or spanked belt. I mean, I got also got in trouble one time because I'm such a smart ass. He asked me to say the family prayer at dinner. Mm-hmm. 
And me, be, like, he's a smart ass too. So that's why the only reason this pisses me off. And the fact that all my brothers were kind of like snickering mm-hmm. when I did it. Cause he said, you know, can you give the prayer? And I said, the prayer. Cause he said, okay. He said, can you say the prayer? And I said, the prayer. Yeah. And just kind of like smirked. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't go over very well. He did not find that funny. Yeah. And I got in big trouble. And always whenever he, we got in trouble, he would then hug you like after spanking me with the belt Mm -hmm. would hug me and be like, this is for your own good. Yeah. So if that's not being conditioned to accept abuse from someone you love, I don't, I don't know what is like, if that's not, you know what I mean? That's very, uh, that's terrible. I know like, um, Hey, we're, I think a lot of people who've listened to this podcast have been parents. Sometimes when you're a parent, it's hard for you to keep your cool. Um, I know when I've lost my cool, I go back and I just apologize to my kids uh, when I recognize that I've been out of line. But I don't go back and tell them this was for your own good or you made me do this. Yeah. Yeah. See, and (laughs) I remembered that. So I did try with my boys to, like, say sorry, Mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, mom lost her temper. I shouldn't have said those things. Like, I apologize. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out why that happened and let's do better next time. Yeah. And I still wasn't perfect and I had my own trauma. So I was, I really regret a lot mm-hmm. for how I handled things with my kids because I was still so screwed up yeah. and hadn't healed from my own experience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah. a whole nother a whole nother yeah um i know like i can remember my mom is like uh she can trace her lineage back to uh kirkland right so i don't know if they lived in kirtland but my my mom has a doll right that's in her like what are those curio cabinets hutch type things okay um that I think it's her great grandma mm-hmm. carried across the plains oh, okay. in the handcart company yeah. when she was four years old. Right. So we still have that all. Yeah. Like I know that family goes that far back. Yeah. I, I know that there are written, handwritten letters to some of my grandpas from first presidencies. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I know that 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 family goes way back. <laughs> like, so my mom's kind of like, like she's always been socialized to be this uh, kind of weak willed, submissive Mormon yes. woman. Right. And that's how they breathe. Their yeah. And, <laughs> or at least how they want them to be. And my dad has always given my mom, my dad's comes from a convert family. Like his parents were converts. Okay. So my dad kind of would feed into the strong willed male patriarch, but that's because it was like the way my mom was raising him to be a father, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause my dad's not. So I, like, I remember when I was first married, like my mom, my wife, sorry, has a pretty, uh, she has a strong kind of leadership kind of personality. Yeah. She has a strong sense of self. And so when we'd have the missionaries over for dinner or have my parents over for dinner, like everybody's looking at me to pick somebody to say blessing on the food. And I just kind of look at her because I don't like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then she, and then it was kind of like a joke. It 
not maybe never verbalized, but definitely like this joke of like your wife's running the house kind of thing. And I'm like, cause that's what she naturally does. And I'm not going to make myself be this patriarch that I don't want to be because that's what the church told me. That's not what you're comfortable with because that's who you are as a human. You just, you like somebody else to kind of take the lead and then you'll be supportive and be their right hand person. That's what marriage is. That's what it should be. Exactly. You have each other's backs. Yeah. It's not a, he rules me and I bow down. Exactly. But the church is not how it I, like I could feel the church pushing me into that role. Yeah. And I yeah. I didn't like that. And then I could feel mm-hmm. I left the church when my kids were I think 5 and 3, but I could start feeling myself putting expectations on my son and starting to feel like I'm getting into that conditional love kind of headspace and I'm just like this isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, see, and that's another thing too, though, is okay. So, as a young man, you're being told that you're going to be like you have this expectation mm-hmm. that you have to be a certain way, mm-hmm. and that you need to keep everybody else in line. Yeah, that's a lot to put on someone, especially these young boys, for sure. And so, yeah, I know. So, my wife stopped going to church before I did, and there is kind of like this sense of or feeling like, hey you're the priesthood leader, like get your family in Mm -hmm. line. And I would even, I can remember thinking to myself, it's like, Hey, I remember how much I would look down on the partially active families. Yeah. And the guy, the the men who are bringing their kids without their wife. And it's kind of like, dude, you're just a crappy priesthood holder. Like get your family in line. Yeah. Like you're not doing it right. (laughs) Yeah. And then that's what I started to think of myself but then I was just like, that's not right. And then you kind of. No, you ha- and why are we blaming you for your wife's choices at the time? Well, the, the other. Like she's going through something. Let her go through something. It, a, that's <laughs> kind of the. There were, there, was, there were two kind of feelings that I get from other uh, guys in the ward. Is one. The mm. first one was so like your wife doesn't go to church anymore. And she doesn't make you do all that stuff that my wife makes me do. Like go to the temple and do family homie. It's like sweet like how yeah. do i get that deal like yeah, how do i get that like you're going, <laughs> so you're going to the celestial kingdom and you don't have to do all that dumb crap nice like how yeah. do i get that deal and then the other one is like well what can we do to bring her back and how do we re- reactivate her and how do we help you mm-hmm. and and i'd start yeah. to feel like hey that's like that's not right like she's her own person it's not my job to yeah shepherd her into behaving a certain way she's got her own life and she's gonna live it and and my job as husband is not to make her bend to something she doesn't want to do i'm not her dad i have so much admiration for you and how you handled that whole situation like i know you got mad and like throughout the the coffee (laughs) machine yeah (laughs) yeah and i get it just because of how I dealt with my own marriages and when we would fight about the church and what we would fight about. Mm -hmm. But it's no one gets to control anyone else. Right. Like we can't control anyone else. They have their own thoughts and feelings and to try to think that you can control them or that you should, there's two very big problems with that. For so, so like speaking to my dad now, um, one one thing, like me and my dad had a great conversation. Um, 
after I left the church, like my dad has a, an incurable type of cancer. It's he's, he's been through chemo and every, it's okay, but thank you. Um, he's been through chemo and everything and it's in remission, but it's not curable. So eventually it's going to come back and that's going to kind of be the end of his life. Um, so once we got that diagnosis, it was like, Oh, I need to have some frank conversations with my dad. So I just said, dad, like, we haven't really talked about this. Am I a big disappointment for leaving the church? And, and, uh, he says no. And he's, the other thing he says was he's very, he wishes he would have just helped me find myself instead of trying to make me be somebody that he thought I should be. And that's almost. Amen. (laughs) I was thinking you mentioned that. Because I wish we all did that. Just let somebody be who they are and help them be a good person and don't put this box. Because I never fit in the box. Neither did I. I think. I know some fit in it. Or they at least make the box work for them. Mm I was not one of those people. Me so. so I, yeah, I've been kind of yeah. taken over here. I think we, okay. So we've, we, no, he's <laughs> we've established, uh, I know we went off. We, we've established, okay. We, the, the, the patriarchal expectations in the church are toxic. Yes. It sounds like your dad was yes. already that way and the church made it worse. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And he has a type A personality. He's very like gung ho and he works really hard. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that. He has a lot of redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he provided very, very well for us. Right. And lived a very comfortable, entitled life. Mm-hmm. Like I could come across sounding like a like entitled white bitch because of how like I did grow up. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm also not going to dismiss what happened to me just because other people might have a worse situation. Mm-hmm. I th- Like so, I think it's. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> that's uh, like that's real mature perspective because I think um, that like my personal feeling is like narcissistic traits continue and perpetuate for a reason. I think it's because these narcissistic traits allow people to accumulate resources very, very well, right? Um, yeah. So you might find narcissistic traits in people who are extremely successful in their careers mm-hmm. and they're able to provide yes. very well. Um, the downside yeah. is is sometimes that results in emotional trauma for the kids and 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 stuff like yeah. that. But I think like it sounds like you kind of yeah. recognize the good and bad that comes with those traits. I that took a long time. Right. Um, so because there was a period of time where I didn't talk to him mm-hmm. for about a year. Right. Um, and we can get into that. We can go back to because we were talking about how I was growing okay. up. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Because I was, no, no, no. I was like, we're getting, I, I'm trying to give like the background because yeah. if I go into the other stuff, then it's like dismissing everything else okay. <laughs> that kind of happened in between. All right. Let's keep up with the background. Um, yeah. I did get baptized twice. Okay. Because I can't remember if it was my skirt that was up out of the water mm-hmm. or my hair. Right. But one of those. So I remember getting baptized twice. And I also remember my brothers didn't turn the heater on for the water. Okay. So first world problems. Yeah. <laughs> it was cold. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, but like I said, I had six brothers. So I had grew up with them going on missions and seeing all what everybody else expected. And I think also as the eighth child, you already have expectations because of how your siblings yeah. are. 
and going to the same elementary school and same high school as them, you know, I was little insert my last name. That's what they called me. Everybody knew who they were. Like it wasn't (laughs) just very like, Oh, that's who you are. Well then you can do this and this and this because that's what all your family can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't sing though. I'm not good at singing and I'm really not the best flute player. Everybody else in my family can play an instrument. Yes. But I also don't think I tried Mm -hmm. because everybody else was so good and they were all so smart that I didn't even want to try in school. Right. Like I kind of gave up because I was like, there's no way I can like come up to their level. Like my brother that's two years older is in like all, oh gosh, what are they called? The higher classes that are like college courses. courses. AP Mm -hmm. classes. Thank you. Sorry. I had a brain fart. He had all AP classes. He would sleep through them and still ace his test. And they even brought him in and said a teacher accused him of cheating. And my dad was like, no, like give him the test again, then give him a different test. So they gave him a different test and he aces it. Right. And the teacher's just like pissed because he's sleeping through all his Mm -hmm. classes, which he was depressed. That can come into play too, because my dad and I got in a very big argument about that one. Okay. See, I'm telling you how narcissistic my dad is. But I fought him, mm-hmm. every, like, all the time. Right. Like, I didn't like it. I don't like authority, I guess. I just fought. Yeah. Because I was like, who are you to tell me this? Like. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's not, it's not a healthy thing, but I just constantly fought boundaries mm-hmm. and wanted to see kind of what I could get away with. But also, like, I would have moments of going wholeheartedly into the church and doing everything I was supposed to mm-hmm. saying that, but going up and bearing your testimony and doing all the things. And I went to girls camp. I went to, um, Oh my God, I'm having issues. EFY. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> went to EFY two years, you know, like always super involved because they were super involved. Mm-hmm. They, he was always involved in music and I, I most, and Bishop Ricks, he always had like higher, more prominent callings, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that also meant he wasn't around a lot. So he already, he was owning his own business and never home. Mm-hmm. And when he was home, he was yelling at us and we were all getting in trouble because my mom's telling him what we did during the week. So he's like, okay, well, like we would have family council and family home evening where basically you talk about what everybody else did and then everyone gets to vote on what your punishment is. Your eyes just got well, so that, wide. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's intense. But, like that's an intense way to grow up. Yeah. And you know, my mom's holding down the fort and she's doing everything she can do as a mom. Mm-hmm. But at the same, like, I just was like, where is he? Like, he's supposed to be this leader, but he's not here. Right. And when he was there, he was usually upset. If we were home, if we were on the boat, whole different conversation. Because that was kind of what our family vacations were included. For a while, we went to, we would go Mm four-wheeling, like go to Glamis, or Glamis, that's not beach, but sand dunes. And we go camping with a very prominent family in our community that had five brothers. And they all had about eight kids, nine kids. Mm -hmm. And they all lived on the same street as each other. Right. They all lived next door. 
So all these cousins that were all our ages too. So we would go and hang out with these family. So did you get like a... Like that's what... Would you get a pep talk of like, don't you do anything to embarrass the family while we're on this vacation with these... Absolutely. And you're going to remember how to behave. You're going to remember what you should be saying and what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, this plays into my brother that's two years older than me. He's very, very shy. I was very, very shy. I never wanted to order when we were at the restaurant, Mm -hmm. but my dad would make me order, but he would not make my brother order. He would order for my brother. Does that make any sense? So you and your brother both feel uncomfortable with the same thing, but your dad makes you do it, not your brother? Oh, force me to. And I, I do appreciate that because I am able to talk to people and it has helped me in my jobs. And my brother is still insanely quiet. Right. But when he does talk, you should probably listen because it's usually something important. Right. He just doesn't like to waste words. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just such a just confusing relationship to watch how he treated him and then watch how he treated me. Um, I also watched, he always made it to his band performances, but never mind. I did get a little happy, but then also pissed off at him at the same time because I am super protective of my Mm -hmm. brother. (laughs) Um, I, I told, I said this in the email I sent you. So my dad was always involved in music. What he did for a job was install sound systems okay. and like media type stuff in big places. Right. So in the 90s, he did like Luxor, MGM Grand, oh, wow. um, Caesars Palace. He did Dodger Stadium back in the early 90s. I know he had something to do with the Duck Pond, but I can't remember exactly what happened because I also know we had a regional conference that he provided the sound system right. for. Like very active in like the church stuff and using his talents mm-hmm. to provide the church with things, yeah. which was a good example. But at the same time, that that religion is so all-consuming for your entire yeah. life. It truly encompasses everything. So you don't have time to like think too much about it because you're so busy. Absolutely. I don't know if that's part of it, why they, they want to keep you busy. I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Like, um, like as soon as you have a, a moment to stop and think about what you should be doing instead of what you are supposed to be mm-hmm. doing, you know, all of a sudden yeah. the things you're supposed to be doing, it's like, oh, I don't know if that's actually important, you know? It makes sense to me why a lot of people in the church suffer from, like, anxiety. Yeah, because there's, Cause there's just a so never-ending list of things you can do or should be doing. Never in the list, and you're never good enough, so you got to keep trying, yeah. and that's exhausting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can remember one so. time I had, uh, it was after our son was born, um, I hadn't seen my parents in a while, and we went over for dinner, and my dad, there was kind of like a, a bit of a scheduling mix-up, and my dad wasn't sure if there was a steak meeting he was supposed to go to or not, and he was really worried about missing it, and he's trying to phone people to find out if the meeting's on or off. Cause he's heard like mixed things. And I'm like, dad, your grandson's here. Your new grandson's here. I'm here. We haven't seen you in a while. If you don't go to this yeah. meeting, is it really a big deal? And it really sounds like mm-hmm. whoever's in charge of this meeting has been screwing it up. So don't go the extra mile for this pops. Yeah. I, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, why are you throwing yourself so into something that, I, yeah. yeah, I can understand they feel rewarded when they're serving mm-hmm. and doing, because I felt the same way. I, I, I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm trying to think where we kind of were. <laughs> Like we, we, so like the city I grew up in Calgary, it's, it's next to the Rocky mountains. And then in Canada, in the Rocky mountains, there's a bunch of lakes. And so everybody Mm -hmm. from Calgary owns a place in one of the lakes in the Rocky mountains. And, uh, there was actually, there was a guy, an older guy in our stake who was kind of one of the first Calgarians to start building a a lake property there. And then he kind of got a bunch of other Mormons to build lake properties out there. And so... It was like half our stake would be gone for the summer at Lake Properties. Because they were all... And so my dad would be like, I don't want to be like one of those guys who's gone for the summer. I need to be here serving. I I don't want to be like one of those guys who takes two months off at church. That was, I need to be here serving the Lord. And that was kind of the the way my dad was about about his callings. Yeah. Yeah. We, We would sometimes miss church not very often but when we did Mm -hmm. like i said we were usually on our boat we went to catalina a lot and that was kind of our family vacations Mm -hmm. but we would have church on the boat we would have like a sacrament type meeting we wouldn't necessarily have the sacrament but we definitely would have spiritual discussions and that's pretty much the only time i ever saw my dad cry or get emotional was usually when he was telling us like his missionary experiences or things like that like I, th- I think a few people I've talked to growing up, and I remember having these th- thoughts growing up. Is it's like, on the one hand, the church is telling you the family's so important, family's so important, but then on the other hand, the church is ripping one or both of your parents out of your house almost all the time, and it's just all the time. Because when we yeah. were home, I mean, my mom in high school, she was the Relief Society mm-hmm. president, so she was always right. gone, and he was usually involved with state yeah. stuff. Usually stake music stuff, but I mean, he was always gone. And then once he started producing and recording the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, that took so much time. He was in Utah all the time. He missed my 16th birthday and my brother's graduation from high school because they were in Europe on tour with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And was that a job or a calling? That was a... I believe it was a job, but I can't, I don't know. He might've gotten some compensation Mm -hmm. for it, but I think it was mostly like a volunteer type basis. He just wanted to be involved. I'm sure he got money from the sales of like the records and stuff since he did produce it. Right. But wow. Yeah. That's a, one of his best friends was the director Mm -hmm. back in the day. So yeah, really good friends with him and his wife. We went on vacations with them. Huh? Right. Was it Mark Jessup? Is that the guy who's always conducting? Uh, no, not Jessup. Jessup and him actually did not get along very well. Okay. Okay. They're too, uh... Yeah. No, it was Otley. Okay. Gerald Otley. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I've had a snowball fight with that guy. He's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> Otley or Jessup? He's passed away. Otley? Otley. Yeah. I, know, I don't think I ever, I think I met Jessup once. Okay. Because he was still um, helping with sound for a general conference when the conference mm-hmm. center was built. Right. I know we were there for that first conference. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so what did they not get along about? 
or is there like an NDA that prevents you from talking about this? I don't know. Cause okay. My, this is also another thing is my parents don't talk a lot about certain things. So I know what my right. dad's an asshole. He's not, he wasn't nice when he did business dealings. He's very hard headed and he does it things his way. And I don't mm-hmm. think him and Jessup could like come together on how they wanted to do things. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I think they had a mutual respect for each other and what they did do, but at the same time they realized they weren't going to work well together. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of when he stopped recording. We just didn't have the same relationship with him anymore. But, right. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was trying to think like when some more poignant moments in my life where I kind of questioned the church. Like I remember mm-hmm. hearing about Hans Mill. And asking my dad, okay, well, if these these people were the righteous people, like, why didn't God protect them? I think I asked Mm -hmm. him that. And he's like, well, God can't protect them because he can't take away the free will of other people. I'm like, okay, all right. Like, he always had an answer for certain things. I remember Mm -hmm. asking him about polygamy and why they even did that. Like, I was like, I understand Mm -hmm. they do it in the Old Testament, but does that really mean that it's, like what we should be doing. Like, I was just like, like, what was this about? And he made it sound like the only reason they started polygamy was because so many men had gone off to war and died and that there were all these widows and single women that needed husbands. When come to find out that that's definitely not. (laughs) I remember I used that one when I was at, I used that, uh, that same apologetic when I was a missionary and this guy just looked at me like I had four heads. And he was like, dude, when Jesus yeah. said take care of the widows, he didn't mean marry them. You can take care of a widow without marrying yeah. her. And I was like, dang it, you got me. Yes, you got me. You can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you can also not marry 14 and 15-year-old yeah, girls. That too. That too. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I understand it was more acceptable back then. Mm-hmm. But I think about me at 14, and I also remember wishing at 14 mm-hmm. that I could go get married because well, we can get into that one. Because of my dad, I kind of was a little bit boy crazy, yeah. I think. I wanted like male acceptance, yeah. if that makes sense, because he was so harsh. Mm-hmm. And... So I, my first boyfriend, I was beehive president and he was deacon president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the first boy I kissed. Right. <laughs> and he broke up me, with me right after we kissed because he was like, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah. The spirit told me. Uh, yeah. Come as into play later yeah. because I feel like you <laughs> and your other counterpart, would have been mm-hmm. the guys that were jerks to me in in church just because of this experience that I ended up having. Because the first time I ever had to go talk to the bishop about something mm-hmm. was my freshman year of high school. I let a boyfriend, so like I, I wasn't listening to the not date until you're 16 thing. Like I said, mm-hmm. I like to press boundaries. And even yeah. though when you have a boyfriend at that age, you're not doing stuff. Like you barely hold hands in a junior high. Like, yeah. oh, that's just my boyfriend. Like it's innocent, I guess. That happened and I had like my first 
got had this boyfriend. I had my first sexual experience where he touched me mm-hmm. somewhere. It went around yeah. the school. Right. And all of the boys from my age group came up to me when I was walking out of the locker room after gym. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all five of them told me that they were disappointed in me, that they couldn't believe okay. I would do that, and that I really needed to go to the bishop. And I can't remember okay. if I'd gone to the bishop already yeah. or if I waited, it happened after. I actually think I already had gone to the bishop about this. And this bishop was one of those family friends, one of the brothers. So I knew him well. So it was already uncomfortable. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. this is one of my dad's friends. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be having this conversation. Yeah. And when you are 14, yeah. like, number one, I just don't think you should be in a room with an adult male mm-hmm. with the door closed talking about something. Like right. Yeah. And absolutely. When yeah. I was telling, yeah, when I was telling him, he didn't understand the slang term I was using. So he's like, can you please describe to me in detail what happened? Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. So insanely uncomfortable, uh, yeah. um, then gave me my reading assignment <laughs> and that was my first time being disfellowshipped and not being able to take the sacrament. Um, he did tell me when I was reading the miracle of forgiveness, he said, read the first, the last three chapters first. Right. And I thought that was weird. Uh-huh. And I actually ended up talking to one of my older brothers about it. And he said, Oh yeah, you got to read the last three chapters first or you're going to want to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I have to read this book. Mm-hmm. And like, I was already struggling with my self-worth because of how my dad's expectations were and what he expected. And I already mm-hmm. felt like I didn't fit the mold that he wanted me to be like, I'm not as quiet and submissive as my mom. I have a mouth on me. I talk back. I have mm-hmm. too much of my dad in me Yeah. to like let things kind of go past. Yeah. <clears throat> and I know that the first time I got suicidal was after reading that book. Yeah. And really, cause yeah. it, it goes into detail about how even your thoughts. And so I just kept thinking like there is an evilness inside me cause I have some really dark thoughts. And mm-hmm. obviously now I know I'm bipolar, but how much does that come into play about how I like felt about myself? Was it, I don't know, kind of shaky ground, I guess. You can't really have like a definitive answer, but I just thought I was so evil. Yeah. And I thought there was never going to be like a redeeming quality. Like I, I couldn't be redeemed after having like just this first time just letting a boy touch me. Like I, Mm -hmm. I just felt so crappy. And I do remember Mm -hmm. talking to one of my brother's girlfriends and I expressed that I was suicidal and she pretty much looked at me, looked at the nice house and the big family and was like, what the hell do you have to be suicidal for? Like, mm-hmm. what is possibly so bad about your life? Mm-hmm. And so then I stopped talking about it. Because like, okay, well, it's just me. I'm the only one who feels this way. Everybody else thinks I have a great life. So I must have a great life. 
I, I cared so much about the opinion of everyone else around me. I, I didn't have an opinion myself. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's something that the Mormon church kind of breeds into you. Like you don't get an opinion. These are what, what you're supposed to do. There's no sense of self, mm-hmm. right? You're just get on the bandwagon, do all the things. So, yeah. Just, Can I clarify something for a minute? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So Elder Jackson was definitely like an, an obedience Nazi from his earliest memory. Yeah. I wasn't until I went on yeah. a mission. So I was, I just got into trouble with girls. Like, it wasn't until you. Yeah. It wasn't until I, I repented yeah. and went on. I repented of everything at the start of grade 12 and then went on a mission and then okay. hated myself uh, because um, like I had the to reconfess. <laughs> I had to reconfess everything I'd ever confessed to. Uh, two stake presidents before going on my mission. And I didn't really even get into that much trouble uh, compared to what a lot of other. Really? Right? Yeah. But um, yeah, I had a one stake president when I received the Melchizedek priesthood. And then between receiving the Melchizedek priesthood, going on a mission, a new stake president was called. So I had to go through the whole rigmarole again. Um, you had to go through it all over again. Yeah. Ugh. And so I just felt like I could never be forgiven and then just internalized a lot of hatred and became very judgmental. Yeah, so, you just, you feel like there is no forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in high school, I had girlfriends and stuff. I never dated in the church because I was just like, don't shit where you eat. Like, you don't want this girl to blow the whistle on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, like, I had a friend where that yeah. happened. And uh, it was like, it got pretty crazy. Um, but I was just like, no, like, don't mm-hmm. be an idiot. Like, I am only dating outside the church because I don't want somebody two things. Like if I feel end up deciding I want to turn around my life or whatever, I'm not like, Mm -hmm. I don't want any collateral damage from my confession and I don't want somebody else to blow the whistle on me and ruin my life, you know, without it being my call. So yeah, I was, uh, I pushed boundaries while I was in high school. Crazy that we feel like we have to. Yeah. So I snuck around. I just snuck around right. I, yeah. it, it was like, I, also, yeah. like, Calgary has a lot of Mormons, but it doesn't have a surplus of Mormons. So, like, I had maybe 10 in my middle school and about 100 in my high school. Um, mm-hmm. But there were... That's about where, what we're at. Right. Like, it's prominent, but not that prominent. Like, yeah. everybody knew who the Mormons were. Yeah, yeah. So I, like there were enough, yeah. there were enough people to hang out with outside of the Mormons. I just kind of would gravitate to the. You kind non- of gravitated towards them. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was where I. Do you so, have any guys your age that you were? Yeah. So kind of by high school, like in my middle school, I didn't have any real Mormon guys my age. Um, and then in high school, um, uh, a bunch of there were just a bunch of other guys from other wards that ended up being in my high school. So that was kind of what led to me turning my life around was I ended up with a bunch of Mormon guy friends who were all planning on going on missions and stuff. So it was like, I better kind of keep going with the herd. So then you're going to jump on the bandwagon. You're going to go on a mission too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, so just in case I gave out that impression that, as a judgmental prick while I was in high school. No, I was I just, only a judgmental prick on think, and after my mission. <laughs> only with the Keurig, yeah. right? <laughs> it's the yeah, only time yeah, you were judgmental. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, no, I, I didn't mean that in like a bad way because I, I have, since mm -hmm. I talked about it on my podcast, that whole incident, um, I did have one of yeah. the gentlemen reach out to me and apologize. Yeah. And he right. said, you know, I do feel like I was kind of just going with what they wanted to do, mm -hmm. but I do really feel bad that we did right. that to you because that was not okay. And I was like, well, I appreciate your apology. Like, yeah. I mean, we're all young and stupid. So it happens. <laughs> like when I was yet, so the the, 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 the first girl I had a crush on, and it, did I lose you there? The first girl you had a crush on? Yeah. Yeah. So it was in grade six. So we're like 12 and kind of all the boys in my grade had a crush on her. And so the other girls mm -hmm. in our grade started calling her a slut. And I didn't know what that word meant. And uh, so I asked one of my older friends, I'm like, everybody keeps using this word and I don't know what it means. And he's like, she's not that word. She can't be that word. And I'm like, well, what's that word? He's like, it's just a really, he told me what it meant. And I was like, what? And so after that, like, mm -hmm. at least when I was younger, I just felt kind of defensive of uh, when girls would get shamed About for that kind of stuff. Called that. Yeah. 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 Cause I was just like, I, I couldn't believe how vicious these girls got because every boy in, in, the sixth grade had a crush on one girl and every other girl got really vicious. I couldn't believe that. So whenever I'd hear people use like words like that, I, at least through high school, I got pretty defensive. Um, just like you can't talk about people like that. Right. So, okay. Anyways. Well, and especially it's just rumors yeah. like people, I don't know, they just exaggerate or maybe it's their own insecurities coming out when they attack someone else. Yeah. But it's not nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Kids are mean. Yeah. Kids can be very mean. Yeah. Okay. So. So the next time I go to the office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was also because of the boys right. again. Yeah. I had really really bad cramps, and was on all sorts of different pain medication, and we couldn't figure out how to like get it under control. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I was 15, my doctor suggested to my mom that we put me on birth control to keep okay. it under control, like, and to help with yeah. and stuff. So mm -hmm. I was taking a birth control pill at lunchtime. Cause that was the only time that I could always remember to take it. Cause you're supposed to take mm -hmm. it at the same time every day. And cause I would sleep in and I, my mom was also my early morning seminary teacher. <laughs> okay. So that's fun. Your mom is your early morning seminary teacher. <laughs> but um, Yeah, it's like no break. I guess the boys saw me. The boys saw me take a pill, one of them. And so the mm -hmm. bishop called me into his office on a Sunday and was like, hey, what's this? Like, why are you taking birth control? And I got so livid because I was like, hey, first of all, my mom was freaking with me at the doctor's appointment. If you want me to go grab her, I will. Like, what? Like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I just, I feel like after we talked the last time and I'm like, yeah, but I went through the whole repentance process and I like was just fellowship for a year. Like now I'm good. Right. And that pissed me off to the point where I was just like, fuck it. I don't care. And would, then I was, I ended up starting to have sex because I was just pissed and mad. Yeah. That yeah. I, was, I felt like I was already getting accused of it anyway. Mm -hmm. So not healthy. Not the right thing to do, <laughs> but that's how things went down. 
you know, I had a friend who got this fellowship or something in, in grade 12. Um, and then he just started oh, wow. like, okay. he starts like stealing things from Walmart and doing a bunch of other stuff. Cause he's like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point? Yeah. You feel like there is no point. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I also sat there and I was in my head, repenting should be between you and God. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think anybody else needs to be involved. You do not need to be shouting your sins from the rooftop because yeah. everyone freaking sins differently. And you are shouting from the rooftop only certain sins mm-hmm. when I think there are other ones that are way more destructive. Yeah. Like physical abuse. But we're not going to disfellowship all the men in the church, are we? For hitting their wives? Right. Well, I don't think that happens. No, and I think if they did, if they had, yeah, if they just fellowshiped every abusive man in church, I don't know if there'd be anybody left to hold callings. Probably yeah. not. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, does that kind of... Just saying. Does that, <laughs> so does that kind of, does that tie up your high school experience in the church, or was there another um, repentance process? Or The only other thing I can think yeah, I mean, I do remember because I, I, I fluctuated a lot because I did go to girls camp and I would have these spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. And I did go to EFY, have spiritual experiences. I don't know if that's more because you're sleep deprived and hungry because the food's not that great or you've been staying up until four in the morning talking with yeah. girls that you just kind of you get more emotional. I don't know. Yeah. But for the most part, yeah, that's pretty much my high school experience. I was, like I said, I was beehive president. I did become my maid president. Mm-hmm. And then in my laurels, I was in the stake. Okay. But I think they thought that that was going to keep me, like it was a stake youth committee. Yep. I think that's what it was called. So you planned youth conference and stuff like yeah. that? And like the stake uh, youth activity? Supposedly. Yeah. I don't think I ever really truly participated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You just kind of showed up somewhere. I think I always found an excuse. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. I mean, I always loved dances because I love dances and I was having mm-hmm. fun. So, I mean, there are benefits. I had the rule um, that I could date, go on two non-member dates, uh-huh. and then I had to go on a date with a member. Yeah. Those were my rules once I was – Like, I had weird rules too, Like, uh, but then I just uh-huh. lie. Like, um, it was, you could go yeah. on, mm-hmm. it was like no more than two dates in a row with the same person. And so it's almost like, like I had a companion from, uh, Europe on my mission and, and European, European guys all have like girlfriends. So apparently there it's like, it's yeah. more socially acceptable to just be dating one person. If you date, uh, you know, a bunch of different people it's seen as very promiscuous is that's at least what was explained to me. Mm-hmm. And so they all had like steady girlfriends okay. that they were writing and stuff like that. And I was like, how does that square with the teachings of the church and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, dude, mm-hmm. like it's, it's not uniform across the world, like dating standards and expectations. It's like, if we went on a date with a different person every month, people would view us as like being slutty or whorish. Like, that's not the way with Mormons, though. Like, oh, that's great. A lot You're of different dating. people. And it's very, like, it's very, very uh, weird, right? I, even to. Yeah. So I remember, like, 
that I had a, one girlfriend all through high school and kind of explaining like, this is the weird stuff. So like we might be going out, but if my parents mm-hmm. call me, I might use somebody, tell them that I'm with somebody else. Just, we've got to keep it. Yeah. You might say a different <laughs> name. This is why, because yeah. I'm in this church yeah. that's really fucked, but it's definitely not a cult. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. not so. yeah i remember going to meet boys at the mm-hmm. mall and we were going to go see a movie together and my dad rolls up and sits behind us in the movie theater because i'm sitting next to like a boy and he was like it's like okay so he yeah he made me leave the movie theater right it was the rule. I think the bishop's the one who came up with this that you should have twenty boyfriends, never just one. I never heard that one, but that is some crazy. That was a, a weird. Like that's weird, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I yes, it's a little. I can remember, like um, my. I do. Do you want to go or me? <laughs> I was just going to say that there was also, so after the whole incident and I went to the bishop about the sexual experience, whatever, my dad also took me out of school the next day and drove me around to all the Catholic all-girls school in LA and said, like, this is where you're going to go if you don't, like, shape up. And I was trying really hard to act like I was upset about it, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to go. Like, I wanted to get out of my house. Right. Like, I didn't want to be there anymore. So I would have yeah. loved to go to, like, he was threatening it with for me. And I was like, no, bring it. Like, I want to go to all-girl Catholic school. <laughs> uh, school, right? Okay. Yeah. It's just weird that that's where, yeah. Yeah. We, uh. <sighs> yeah. Okay, so you didn't end up going to Catholic school. It's just amazing because I I know that. No, I did not. I stayed at the high school. Right. Um, Okay. So all of, so except for the oldest, everybody else went on missions. Mm -hmm. Okay. And when my brother that's two years older than me went on his mission to Russia, and I can imagine Mm -hmm. that's like a depressing place anyways. But yeah. he was having issues and super depressed. I told you he slept through all of his classes. That's kind of how yeah. he deals with his depression mm-hmm. is he just sleeps. Yeah. And um, I guess his companion was getting upset with it. So the mission president asked him, said, do you just want to go home? And he was like, yeah. So I remember being in the car on our, well, okay, that's first off when he called to say that he wanted to come home. He refused to talk mm-hmm. to anybody but me. Yeah. And he's like, I want to talk to Jen. Oh, I just said my name. Huh. Oh, well, whatever. If they listen to my podcast, they'll find out my name anyway. I am Potiphar's wife. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> he got on the phone with me and I was like, what's up? And he's like, I'm coming home early. Yeah. And he's like, can you like tell them? He didn't want to even talk to my dad. Like, oh, did yeah. not want to say a word to him because he knew exactly how my dad was going to respond. Yeah. And we're in the car heading to the airport to go pick him up. And it's my, me, my oldest brother, and his wife, who, so like, she's been in my family since I was one years old, pretty much a second mom to me. Yeah. And my parents. 
And my dad is literally going off mm -hmm. the whole ride. And it's just like, I don't understand him. Why would he do this? This is so embarrassing. Blah, blah, like going off. And I was like, <clears throat> like, <clears throat> dad, you need to stop this right now because he's already feeling crappy about himself for coming home early. And he's obviously very depressed and that's why he's coming home. So you mm -hmm. should shut up and let him like figure out what's going on before you start going off on him. Like, stop. Like, this is not the right approach. And I remember my brother and sister-in-law just looking at me with wide eyes, like, how, what did you just say? And my dad mm -hmm. just being like, and, but he did. He, when we picked him up, he, he didn't really, he was nice about it. I, I don't know if that's because of what mm -hmm. I said. But I appreciated it. I knew my brother was mentally not okay. And even now, he doesn't mm -hmm. really talk about his feelings towards him. But, yeah. it's They all have very rough relationships with my father, I will say that. I think every single person has kind of their own issues. Right. But that's kind of that. So we're in high school. I graduate. Um. I ended up, I was partying a lot because I, like I said, I was getting accused mm -hmm. of drinking and stuff. So I was like, might as well. And I actually, mm -hmm. I was at a rave and I took an ecstasy pill and got insanely sick and ended up in the hospital. Um, oh, wow. I had gotten home from the rave, like went to bed and I, I went to bed at like 6 a.m. And I didn't wake up the next day until like 7 or 8 a.m. Like I slept for over 24 hours. And when my mom tried to get me up, wow. I, like, couldn't stand up. I just, like, collapsed. I had to have, like, IV fluids. And they, yeah, yeah they were worried that they were going to have to do a lot more. They were, yeah, it was, it was not a good situation. So I took that as I need to get my life in gear. Because I kept having the spiritual experiences. And even though I questioned the church, you know, they kind of tell you not to question. Mm -hmm. Like, don't question. Just, where's your faith? Where's your faith, sister? Where's your faith? <laughs> so I decided that I was yeah. going to straighten up yeah. and go to Rick College. <laughs> and I thought that that was going to yeah. be the best place. Mormon Reform School. That's and like what BYU Idaho is to this day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and all of my other siblings had gone to BYU. So I didn't want to go there. Even though we had a family condo there, I didn't want to go there. I have to be different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and first semester, yeah. I just, I like, I went there as a partial student. Like I only had like three classes and then I was being accepted the next semester. And that's when it became BYU Idaho. So when I got accepted, I actually got accepted to BYU Idaho and not Rick's college, but I only went to Rick's college. It's kind of confusing. Right. Get there. I ended up meeting my first husband the day I moved in because so, his cousin okay, so was one you, of my roommates. You, like they transitioned so kind of middle of an academic year. Uh, no, I I did the whole. Right. It was the fall semester or no spring semester because spring is January, right? I moved in January of two thousand one. Okay. Yeah. So. 
was going to school. Obviously, I meet him. We're snowboarding together and we're having fun and we were vibing. And something happened. <laughs> so we went to his bishop first. Mm-hmm. And his bishop's like, what are you going to do if she's pregnant? Because he, we were trying to have him repent because he hadn't gone on a mission yet because he's only 18. And he's only 18 days older than me. So I'm only 18 as well. <laughs> and he's right. like, well, then we'll hit that road when it, we cross it. I waited for the pregnancy test to come back before I went to my bishop. <clears throat> my bishop right. at the college ward was like, I could kick you out for this. And I was just like, okay, well, I mean, if you're going to kick me out, you're going to kick me out. But he's like, we only have a week and a half left. I'm just going to let you go, but you have lost your acceptance to next semester. Like you can't come here anymore. I was like, okay. He's like, and then I need you to get with your ward once you get married. And like, you need to go repent through this process again. So we get married. That was kind of like the only option. I guess I should go back to because I it was telling our family that we were pregnant. That's like telling his mom because his dad was out of town, who also worked at Risk's College. He was one of the cooks. So you ate there, right? No, yeah. not you. It's Elder. Yeah, I right? yeah I ne- he, went, he there. went there. I never did. Thank praise the Lord. I, yeah, Elder Jackson yeah. went there. I was like, oh, has he eaten there? Like. Um, telling his mom how he approached it was, so mom, I can't go on a mission. That's how he approached it. <laughs> and she just looked at him and was like, why? Oh, no. And he's like, well, she's pregnant. And she literally just got up and like walked away. I was like, oh, yeah. this is no good. <laughs> this is not good. Yeah. His dad pretty much said I climbed on top of myself and got pregnant. He he did not blame his son at all. D- thought it was all me. Yeah. And even my first husband, like he even acted like it was all me. Like I was this seductress that like tempted him because it was his first time and not mine. Which that's like a whole that plays into like our marriage and how things went down. Uh, my parents... My dad was also out of town, so I talked to my mom first. And there was no question in her head. Like, we were getting married. Like, that was the only option is what mm-hmm. I kind of got from her. Like, this is, yeah, we're doing it this way. Yeah. Um, my dad, he calls me. I answer. His first sentence to me was, when are you going to stop being such a slut? Oh, my gosh. So that's that. His options for me were to come home and give the baby up for adoption or to get married. Those were my two choices. Yeah. We got married, even though we did not really know each other and we let things just go too far. Like we did not know each other. I only had known him for three, four months. And it's not like we Mm -hmm. dated that whole time. It was more like getting to know each other and hanging out. Like it wasn't. Yeah, it was just. So then he, of course, my first husband feels very like he got robbed of things. And so that resentment plays in 
yeah. to kind of our relationship and how things went. I tried really hard. Like I understood that he didn't have the party days. I at least had had those. He was yeah. homeschooled oh. in Sugar City, Idaho. It's a very small town. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And all only his all his social interaction was with his family in the church. Like that's all he really had. So we came from two very different environments and then to kind of like blend those together. Like I said, my dad was the one that was like, his dad let his mom take the reins. Like she took care of everything. Yeah. And where he was just gone to work all the time. Um, And he's, you know, a cook. Like she's the one who lifted their house and built a basement. Like mm-hmm. she's the cool badass one. Right. <laughs> I mean, his, Dad is the absolute sweetheart, and I do love him, and I do appreciate him, and he did turn come around to me, but it wasn't until we found out we were having a boy, and that was because I was then carrying on the last name, because that was yeah. the first grandson. That's like Game of Thrones. Lannister he came from a family of, of seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. A whole different dynamic, like, <laughs> that's for sure. That is straight out of um, Tywin Lannister's uh, playbook. Because it, oh, you've had a boy, so you yeah, are now carrying you're, on. You're the You're carrying on the so family name. I can accept you now. Yeah, Lannisters pay their debts. Oh man, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. So we never got like super, we would go to church, but we were never super involved. I did go through the repentance process again, Mm -hmm. but this time I had then to confess all of the stuff from high school, which was quite a bit. And I can touch on this too, because bipolar hypersexuality is a big thing. I didn't know that at the time. So all I thought was I'm this evil girl who just keeps wanting to do all this stuff. Like, I just want to be physical and I want that. Whatever I'm trying to say. But when it comes to that in the religion, like, obviously I'm going to be shamed for that. And Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make excuses. I don't think it's because I was bipolar. But I also had no boundaries because I wasn't taught that I had an opinion about things, that I didn't have a right to say stuff. So I'd get myself in these circumstances where I didn't know how to say no. And I was also told that guys are the gas, girls are the brakes. Like it's up to you Mm -hmm. to stop it. It's not like the guys aren't responsible. I think boys should be held accountable (laughs) because there were very many Mormon guys that I went on dates with. Continue. Sorry. You were going to continue? Oh, yeah. I Like I was given the same message. Up? I feel right? like you've heard. Of just. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was given. It's great. <laughs> I was given the same message of, of like, guys are the gas and girls are the brakes. So I always had an expectation that. Yeah. If the girl didn't want to, she was going to put a stop to it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And guys just can't stop themselves once they get started. And it's not like all the 
um, boys from high school that I did things with, there's quite a few Mormons in there that I'm sure had to go to their bishops. So I'm pretty sure that my name was brought up in a lot of bishop interviews. Yeah. And that makes me sad. And I'm not proud of that. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but look at what you, like, I wasn't the only one. <clears throat> and I didn't think that I was also that, I call them Jack Mormons, where they go to church and they act all perfect. But then when they're at school or wherever that they're completely different, I tried really hard not to be that girl. But then you still have like the conflicting because I wanted to obey my parents and do what they wanted me to do. So it's, I don't know. I feel like they're kept going through cycles of where I'd be really into it and then I'd not. It's just, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> going off on tangents here again. Married to him yeah. for eight and a half years. No we had problem. two more kids. Um, mm-hmm. What? Um, like we would go to church, but we were never like super. Oh, no. I'm invested. just nodding my head. I think we've I got a bit of a. But that was more like, yeah, a time lapse. Yeah, it's not. I kept you kept freezing, and then I didn't know if I was supposed to talk or you were supposed to talk. <laughs> I wonder if I can like restart something to make. Yeah, it. I'm just gonna shut up. I'm. I'm turning off my video just because um, it seems like we've got some kind of lag. Uh, Do you think it'll us. make it go faster? Okay. Yeah, it yeah. Might, might help. Uh, oh, I don't even remember where I was now. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. So we're like you got married um, for you were married for eight so, and a half years. Yeah, yeah, that's where we were at. Yes. Yeah. So about, it was right after my youngest, we did separate in like between after my second was born. Um, I don't know if I want to go into that one just because it involves other people's stories and I do have it on my podcast. So if anybody wants to hear that part, but it got Mm -hmm. messy. Another person got involved in our relationship and it kind of blew up. And even though, my first husband was okay with it and it was actually his, like he instigated it. It still ended up really nasty for everybody involved. We went to marriage counseling with a marriage counselor that was actually in our ward that came Mm -hmm. to help us out. But even he said, um, because, well, my first husband's opinion on it was you're the only one who's fucked up. So you're the only one who needs to go to counseling. Oh dear. So the counselor kind of told me, yeah, had told me, like, he was showing me the cycles of what I would do and, like, how I was creating this kind of bad habit. Like, I would do something to make myself feel better, but then that just resulted in me feeling shitty and crappy about myself. And he pretty much said, you're trying to, like, do better but he sees no problem with what he's doing. So no matter how hard you want to work at it, if he's not willing, like you're never going to find mm-hmm. a common ground. It's basically what he told me. 
And he's like, so basically you just need to decide whether you're in this or not. Like you have to make the choice. And if like, that's how he's going to act, you just have to know that that's who he is and he's not going to change. So I was like, okay, like, right. Take that under (laughs) evaluation. (laughs) And we end up separating and I'm, moved down to Utah to go stay with my brother and I take the kids and but he comes down there and wants to bring me back. So I come back and we're just trying to like, it was just a very toxic, he was abusive um, physically and mentally or verbally, I guess I should say. He would just say some really, well, I mean, I said, you're the only one who's fucked up. You're the only one who needs therapy. Like that's not a nice thing to yeah. say. <laughs> But I also understand that he watched me try to hurt myself multiple times. I literally hated who I was and thought that I was an evil human being who had like a devil inside of her. And I didn't understand why I had this going on. So I do understand that I did put him through a lot. So I'm not going to blame him for saying certain things that were very hurtful. But at the same time, like there was no compromise or consideration for like my feelings it was always well like this is how I feel so like you need to kind of go along with it I guess I I think we both had hidden expectations from what a marriage is and both of us were like this isn't it so we didn't understand and I I can blame a lot of that on just being young and naive But also, like, I remember calling my mom and saying, like, he never says sorry. And her response to that was, how many times do you think your father said sorry to me? Yeah, I think there's something about kids getting married, you know, that just, there's a lot of just. Babies having babies. (laughs) Um, I can say now at about, it wasn't until I hit my 30s that I've been able to say I can really in a meaningful way, put somebody else's needs ahead of my own. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's been more in the last few years that I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, like I'm not caught up in my own internal internal turmoil that I can actually focus on other people and how they're feeling but I also think I'm a people pleaser by nature. So I would try to be pleasing, but then my feelings would eventually come out and I would lash out and not in a good way. Right. If that makes sense. It's like it just hits a boiling point and then, and then it becomes very explosive. Yeah. I would try to repress it. Yeah. To get, to like get along and then it would just end up coming out in. Yeah. A very disturbing way. <clears throat> well, thankfully, I'm only a bishop as a joke, so I won't ask for any details. <laughs> Can you please explicitly tell me yeah. what went down? Can I please hear every single uh, right. detail? I think I'll, Thank leave you. It, I'll leave it at disturbing <laughs> way. And uh, it, <laughs> we can go on from there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's, oh gosh. 
so so this um, marriage your first marriage it so yeah based on you saying your first marriage i take it it didn't last um no yeah we we moved to well i had my third child and that was traumatizing in and of itself because i didn't want to bring a third kid into the marriage that was already really yeah rocky um and we moved to utah actually as a job opportunity for him and all hell kind of broke loose. I found out he had cheated on me, so I cheated in retaliation. And then I go up and I say I want a divorce. And then he takes me to the temple. And actually, no, hold on, sorry. He came home and gave me a very bruised arm. I think he was trying to hit my head, but he was very drunk, so he missed. But then took me to the temple, temple square that night and said, I never want to get married to you in the temple, and I want to have an open relationship. And I don't want to get divorced. That's pretty much kind of how that went down. And I said, okay. Right. <laughs> and proceeded to have a two-year open relationship or open marriage, I should say. And so um, I guess. During that time, we also ended up moving back to Idaho. So open marriage in Idaho. You guess. In Utah, that's where it started. And then we moved back to Idaho and continued our open Oh, marriage. Utah. Okay. Yep. Uh, yeah, we moved back to Idaho because his mom uh, got stage four cancer. And so we wanted to be close. Oh, dear. Um, and during this time, like, he, he's off gallivanting, and I'm usually pretty... I usually tried to make sure that he was around or had knowledge of what I was doing mm -hmm. and like there for things, but he did not have the same respect. And during this time, I'm also helping to take care of his mom. Like I'm taking her to chemo treatments. I'm taking her to radiation. I'm helping cleaning the house. I'm trying to take care of my kids. And it just gets really out of control with his side. And I, like I said, he had like a hatred and an anger towards me and he would get mad at me for doing things, but I wasn't allowed to get mad at him. And so I pretty much said, Hey, this isn't working. Like we're creating a toxic environment for our kids. Like mm -hmm. let's just split up. So we do, <clears throat> but it gets, I mean, there's, police have to be called houses like locks got changed. He punched every single picture in the house that had me in it. There was so many, just, my life was so crazy. And I also was very secluded up in Idaho. I did not, the closest person to me was in Utah and that's my one brother. So it's not like I had a support system, only his family. So it's very, it was just very, yeah, I don't even know how to keep going with that. I mean, no more details than what you want to share. Um, yeah, it, it was just really, really bad. We went about, I think it was seven months of um, back and forth between our lawyers for custody arrangements and child support and all of that. It got really nasty. And I will say when you are starting to get a divorce, like gloves come off and you will hit below the belt and say things that are not nice yeah. to each other, like very not nice to each other. And it gets really gross. 
some people can be very amicable. We could not be. But we also couldn't be that way in our marriage. Like we fought about every little thing. One of our very first fights was because I bought a snack at the grocery store or the gas station on a Sunday when we were camping. Because how dare you yeah. spend money on Sunday? <laughs> I'm like, but we're camping. Like we're not going to church. Like I didn't make sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just gives you like a mental idea. Yeah. Of kind of how things were going. Yeah. Yeah. It just so many different things that we would fight about. Like so just what, what's things. your, but they would blow up and we never could resolve the conflict. What's your testimony what like at say? this point in time? My testimony about the church. Yeah. As you're going through your time, marriage. I, I was trying to lean on the church because I think that was the only thing mm -hmm. I knew to comfort me. So I would try, but I also don't think I was fully invested because I knew I could never live up to the expectations the church right. wanted. But I was trying to do it because that's what everybody was expecting from me. So we had gotten divorced before my oldest got baptized. And every single one of my boys was baptized, but they were never baptized by their father. They never got confirmation. They didn't get their blessings by their father, too. It was grandpas that always gave them their blessings. Um, so it's not like he was super involved. I don't think he wanted to be in the church either. Um, so, But as I was getting divorced, the church was definitely there for me. I, my home teacher was the one who put together the bunk beds for my boys when I moved to my apartment. That ward was kind of my saving grace in a way. But at the same time, I was not quite ready to like go full time to church. And I did live right next door to the Mormon missionaries. <laughs> and I tortured them. Oh, really? I was not nice. <laughs> so what kind of, what? <laughs> what yeah. kind of torture? <laughs> well, like I have groceries and they were going to help me carry up my groceries. And I purposely handed them the big case of beer <laughs> to carry upstairs. Okay. So nothing, nothing mean if you're a regular person. <laughs> and, and, come over and we would get, we would be drinking and we would be like making sex noises up against the wall. <laughs> Not, we weren't really doing it, but we were making the noises yeah. just like fuck with them. I feel kind of bad because they're just innocent boys. Like yeah. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. So, so they, um, so are you still going to church at this point in time? Are you, uh, kind of in an inactive Jack Mormon phase or. Um, yeah. I was kind of, I, I also, at this point in time, I was working three days a week. So I only worked Friday, Saturday and Sunday because the boys mm -hmm. were with me the rest of the time. So I would work a double on Friday and a double on Saturday, and then I would work Sunday morning. So I never got to go to church right. because I was working. And I got away with it from the home teacher and bishop because I was su supporting my family. So there was no other option for me. So I was doing what I was yeah. supposed to <laughs> in their eyes mm -hmm. as much as I could anyway. But I also was uh, living a whole life. So I, right. I was getting a little crazy. 
actually meet my second ex-husband okay. uh, at a bar. I, I met him because his friend dropped a drink on me. So is he, and so was he, he a went member to buy of the church? I guess he's not a member of the church. So okay. He was baptized, um, but because his parents got divorced and he lived with his mom, he didn't go to church as much because it was his right. dad that was more involved. And his mom's not. So, um, but he still had that like foundation. So I felt like this guy is like my saving grace. He was very, very sweet. He love bombed me for sure. Like he gave me the sob story for his kids and his ex-wife and what they went through. And my heart just immediately started like bleeding for these kids. And I just wanted to wrap them all up and take care of them for the rest of their lives. Like I just, completely fell for this guy because he was very, he said all the right things and would tell me anything and everything mm -hmm. I wanted to hear. So coming from what I had just gone out of, like I'm thinking this guy's amazing. And I appreciated the fact that he was raised LDS. So he understood that part of me. But also was like partying. So then I was like, oh, we're getting along with this too. Like we have all these things in common. It's different than my ex. Like I compared a lot to my first husband. And way more romantic and just, yeah. So at this point in time, like have, have you been diagnosed he, with uh, bipolarity at this point in time? I have not been diagnosed as bipolar yet. At this point in time, I'm not even on medication for my mm -hmm. anxiety and depression. Um, still feel pretty shitty about myself, obviously, or I wouldn't have been doing such self-destructive yeah. behavior <clears throat> and just really not having like a purpose or a point of direction. I was just kind of mm -hmm. floundering and just the only thing I could do to, I was in like survival mode. I just kind of was going through the motions of life and just like take care of the kids, go work and then party because if you don't have your children, like you don't want to mm -hmm. go home to an empty house. So it was like my way of coping with all of that. So when they were with their dad, like I just didn't want to go home. So I'd go party and I'd go out and go dancing and try to have fun. Okay. So I, I meet this guy and he obviously we date, we end up moving in together before we got married. I told him I didn't want him to ask me to marry him until at least we had been together for a year because of what happened with my first husband. Like I wanted yeah. to make sure we really knew each other. And I will say that I don't believe in waiting until you're married to have sex. I'm just going to put that out there. I don't think that's smart. I think our physical relationship within a, within your, you know, emotional and mental like relationship is very important. You need to have that connection mm -hmm. and intimacy and we don't even buy cars without test driving them first. So why the hell are we not test driving our partners? That just doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean, I get that they want us to be virtuous, but like that's right. where my yeah, head yeah, is for at. Sure. And I think I'm just going to guess based on the nature of our podcast, probably most of our listeners are uh, going to be in agreement with you on this. Um, yeah. In agreement with that one. Yeah. Well, especially because it's the most important decision you make, right? You're going to be this with this person for eternity, but yet you're not going to like make sure you guys have like, 
you got to give it some time to get to really know each other before you jump into a marriage. Yeah. The marriage happens so quick. You know, ring yeah. before spring or your money back. Well, yeah. I didn't get my money For back. For sure. I think like when I I uh, think about my own uh, situation here or um, other people who I, you know, who got married very quick and seem to be uh, uh, still happy. It's like, I just got lucky, you know, or these people just got lucky because for... Mm-hmm. Like you, you lucked out that your wife is amazing. Uh, well, just lucked out that, that, you know, neither of us were secretly crazy or um, had some kind of skeletons in our closet yeah. or, yeah. you know, some, cause I've like, I know a girl that I went to high school. She got married to a guy relatively quickly. Turns out he was actually a drug addict, you know, semi recovering drug addict. And then all of a sudden he oh, doesn't wow. have a job and all the yeah. money's gone. Oh, by the way, honey, also I'm a crackhead. Uh, guess we're yeah. getting divorced. Like they didn't have any kids, thank goodness. But, um, you know, so for every, every Mormon or, or Christian quick marriage, that works out. I'm sure there's, I don't know, 10 to one, 20 to one, where it's like a disaster. Um, so it's like, you just pat yourself on the back that, Hey, I made a very rash decision and it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. Cause I, I remember coming on the podcast and she seems absolutely amazing and I'm glad you guys have been able, like I said, I have a lot of adoration and respect for you guys and how you handled that situation that you were just honest with each other and let each other go through what you needed to go through without like, so, I mean, and even though your wife said she was ready, she was ready for you to throw the divorce card out. She was expecting that. And that's just, yeah. yeah. She expected it. And, but that's not what you did. And that shows your character. Like we just, like we got lucky that that's who we were. You know, because it could have, it goes yeah. a lot differently for a lot of yeah. people, right? Yeah, and it's, absolutely. So it's yes. like we just got lucky that, that that's is. who we were. Because there, I think there was a guy we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. Like, as soon as he said, I'm out of the church, his wife said, like, talk to me through a lawyer. Like, we're getting divorced. That's the end of our marriage now. And it, wow. Yeah. Like, that ha- happens. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Dang. Yeah. I, I do strongly feel like we all have our own, like, okay, baggage, anyways, so um, speak, from our family relationships and family dynamics, but yeah. I, I just think that it's about finding someone who's willing to help you unpack of it and willing to help you heal from it as well. Like it has to be a two way street. You both have to be like breaking the, the cycles that our families go through. Mm -hmm. I I just think that like we all have like our, our stuff, like each family has their things, right? So it's, can you two work together to actually make this work? Or are you going to fight each other every yeah. step of the way? Because in my head, a partnership should be you and, you and them against the world and not you against them against each other. It's, it shouldn't, your marriage shouldn't be a battleground. Yeah, I agree. And I think like for, for myself, I think it took me uh, a bit of growing and maturing uh, to kind of wrap my head around that perspective. Um, and And I don't... Not everybody comes yeah. to that conclusion. I think 
you know, um, not everybody is self-aware enough to come yeah, to that conclusion. For sure. <laughs> so it can, that's what I, cause I know I didn't realize that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Now. So that's so, like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't until after I went through that's uh things. yeah, I think that's part of the risk you take when you get married young and quick is that like you're, you're wagering a lot on hoping this mm -hmm. person's going to continue to grow and mature and continue to, come to good conclusions and, and stay on the same page with you. Cause yeah, it doesn't always yeah. happen. Well, you know, I, I think of myself as having like a bad picker. I, I went, I fell in love with potential and not who they right. were as a person. And that's yeah. not fair to either of us. Um, it wasn't fair to them to hold them to that standard. And it's not fair of me to like, expect certain things that's just yeah okay so we're on your the second marriage so that but one now now yeah, i'm taking it by the fact that you're saying your second marriage i take it this one uh didn't uh didn't work out either no this one so, did not last either so at first it was really good he was not divorced yet mm. but he lied about that i see things kind of came out gradually. And I think I had the blinders on a lot because when I look back now, like there were a lot of red flags that should have told me to run, but I didn't. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so he had two children from his previous marriage. He had also got married at 18, mm -hmm. but his wife at the time had been 16. Oh dear. So he tells me that sad story of her cheating and there was drugs involved. And so my heart completely just goes out because these kids have supervised visitation with their mom. Oh dear. They have all of, and at least my first husband and I, I will say that we tried really, really hard to make sure that mm -hmm. it was 50, 50, that they were with both of us, that they had both of us all the time. Like I know my dad wanted me to go for full custody. And I said, no, because yes, he was a shitty husband, but he was right. a good dad. And there was no reason for me mm -hmm. to take those away from him. Right. Like that was not okay. And I'm the one who like fought for that. Oh, really? Part. So I, I get involved with this man and I immediately like just taking care of the kids automatically, like just constantly with them. His daughter was only two. Mm -hmm. She started calling me mom. I'm sure that had more to do with the fact that my boys were calling me mom and she was, I was just doing the mom things. Mm -hmm. I was feeding her. I was fixing her hair, you know, and ended up actually like, like I said, his ex had supervised visitation. I helped her get two nights a week instead of one night a week. And I was very supportive of her being very involved in like all of us trying mm -hmm. to like work together and co-parent. But when you have your ex, it's not even just your ex that you're having to deal with or their ex. Then you have to deal with their partners and what their yeah. relationship's going through. Because she went through an abusive relationship that made the kids never want to go with her. They literally would kick and scream and not want to go. And during the same time, my youngest is kicking and screaming because he doesn't want to go with his mm. dad's girlfriend. 
so it was just like, it was both of these family dynamics and I'm trying to like navigate both of them while also having a very, people would tell us that we were like mm -hmm. couple goals because of yeah. how we were. Now I know that it's, right. it's all like fake. <laughs> like that wasn't really what he thought and felt. Um, because like I said, we would drink together and there were times that he busted his hand because he punched a brick because he was mad at the way I was talking with someone. He took a knife to our mattress because that was the bed that I shared with my first husband and he didn't like that. He also broke the mirror by punching a fist through it. Um, he held me down and choked me. It was his younger brother that had to come in and intervene and get him off of me. He would, he ripped my clothes completely off of me one day just to make me feel like I was little, like I was just to, yeah. Uh, I ended up, that relationship ended up becoming like me sitting in a corner, having like an anxiety panic attack, crying and just curling up. He was very mean. And when he was mad, it would he would say such contradicting to things to this what mm -hmm. he said when he was all lovey dovey. So I was like, okay, which one do I believe? Do you really feel like I'm a shitty mom or do you really think I'm an amazing mom? Like which one is it? Do you really think I'm a good person or do you think I'm a this bad person that's talking to other men? Like he was very possessive. But I, at the same time, I kind of liked that because I told you what happened with my first who wanted to just have this open thing. And I should also say that I am bisexual. And at first I always told okay. myself I was just bi-curious because of what happened with my first husband. I would just say I'm bi-curious. Like I was just curious about it. Now I know otherwise. Like I'd always been attracted to women and I never quite understood that. I was like, oh, I just find they're beautiful. Like I can just appreciate the the female form, not no, you actually really do like you are right. sexually attracted to them. <laughs> so that's confusing in and of itself too, because the church obviously that's not yeah. what you're taught. <clears throat> so this marriage ends. Are you, so, are you still in the church or yeah. at this point in time, or are you but, going back to church or? So at this time, so at this time when we're kind of having these issues and like I said, he had held me down and like choked me and like, we're having problems. Um, and we're, we already were married by that point. And I still had like home teachers that mm -hmm. would come in and visit, but we decided as a couple, cause I said, we keep fighting and like, it's getting physical and like, I'm scared and I don't like this and I don't want to do this. And he was like, okay, all right. Like we're going to not drink anymore and we're going to not party. We're going to go to church. I was like, okay. So we all start going to church, like full time, getting the boys involved in boy scouts and cub scouts and like do just doing all yeah. the things. <laughs> Because we decided that that's what our family needed to, like, be on the right track. The problem was he was still smoking and was having a really hard time quitting that. 
And all it did was piss me off because I swear to you, every single time he smoked or wanted to go outside to smoke was right when I was either trying to get all the dinner on the table or I'm trying to load up car kids in the car or I'm trying to get them all to bed. Like it was always like the worst possible time for him to go out and smoke and he would be smoking. And I'm right, like, okay, I right. I'm TikTok's got a trend. I think about that's, that's when dad always decides he needs to go to the bathroom. I think it's like, uh, yeah. Whenever you need to clean up after dinner, <laughs> yes, where's dad? Yes. Like, yeah. Oh, it's time for bed and stories. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm going to go disappear somewhere. Um, <laughs> But, you know, like we're going to church and he kept ever since we and him had first gotten together, he wanted to have another kid. I didn't necessarily want to do that because we already had five. And my youngest and his oldest were only like 10 days apart. So it was pretty much like having twins. And then his daughter is only a year Mm -hmm. younger than them. So it was like triplets. And, then you know, the the dynamics between trying to blend a family can be very stressful in and of itself. It wasn't until I actually watched a general conference and the kids convinced me that I should have another baby. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can just imagine you're getting advice from all the right places on a, on a life altering decision, right? Like 90 year olds in Salt Lake city and like kids under 10. Yeah. 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 Yes. Who are are pretty much all telling me, like, it'll bring us closer together. And I even remember having Mm -hmm. a discussion with his sister because she's only his half sister. They had a blended family. And so I was asking her, I was like, what was it like watching your brothers go to their mom's house? Like, was that hard for you as being the kid that stayed home? And she's like, yeah, I would miss them because I was worried. Like, this kid is going to see this brother and sister go to this house and these boys go to this house. Like, what are they going to think? You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to know how this kid's going to feel. But I went with it anyway, went and got my IUD taken out. I mean, it literally ended up pregnant a week later. So the Lord had blessed you. Yeah. So the whole time, (laughs) yes, the Lord blessed me. And immediately I was this full myrtle, (laughs) which I was total myrtle with all of my kids. Yeah. I I was always missing one pill. That's usually how it happened. So... I would be on birth control instead. Yeah. So ended up pregnant, and he had told me that he was so sweet during his pregnancies. And that was one of the things that I, my first husband was not nice during the pregnancies. He thought the cravings were bullshit. He didn't think I was sick all that. Like, he didn't mm-hmm. understand why I was sick all the time. And I had very hard pregnancies, which is also another reason why I did not want to yeah. get pregnant again. All my babies were preemies. I had a miscarriage in between the first two. I got toxemia. Like, I just, I throw up for the first three months. I literally went from 98 pounds to 89 oh, pounds when I, with my yeah. first. Like, yeah. that is tiny. And then, so I just, I didn't have, like, a great experience. You know, and you go in the church, and all these women are like, oh, pregnancy is so wonderful. I feel so amazing. Like, I'm... And I just didn't feel that way. So I, once again, am like, I am not a good woman. Like, I can't do this. (laughs) I'm not adding up. I'm not being what I should be. Um, And so he had told me, like, he was very, very sweet and would go get me whatever I wanted and whatever I was craving. Uh, Only problem was he completely flipped a switch. 
and he would kick the kids off the video games so he could play. He stayed down in the basement all the time. It was pretty much me trying to get five kids off to school and off to all the activities and to Taekwondo and dance class or gymnastics, whatever it was. It was me like doing everything while also sick. Cause he just kind of disappeared on me, like just wasn't there. And so it was already getting like really rough. And I was about five months and we had been fighting a lot and just, it just wasn't a good situation. I wasn't excited. I was like, I don't even want this baby. Like, I don't, how do I like talk myself mm -hmm. out of feeling like guilty like this? What do I do? And I he never went to one appointment with me, which was another like point of contention. Cause he kept saying how excited he was to have a baby. Like he'd been begging me since the day we like got together that he wanted to have a baby with me. And he's not at any appointment. And I go in for an appointment. They don't hear a heartbeat. So he, my doctor thinks his Doppler's broken. Mm -hmm. He sends me up to the hospital to get an ultrasound. Ultrasound tech gets up and leaves to go get the radiologist. So I already know, yeah. like, this is not a good thing. And we had heard the heartbeat the week before or two weeks before because I was going in every two weeks since I'm a high-risk pregnancy. He was being extra cautious. Um. Idaho is also a right to live state. So once they discovered that the baby was already deceased, oh, they sent okay. me in to be induced. And so I, I called to tell my mom and his mom and his stepmom. And then I didn't even call and talk to him because I was so like, he hadn't come to the appointment. If he had come to the appointment, then he would know this already. Right. right. So I was just like yeah. kind of being a petty bitch. <clears throat> But go to get induced, it, it, that was a whole traumatic experience in and of itself. I will say, though, that this is kind of a weird twist because I am going to church at this time. And I'm very involved and I'm a primary teacher and I'm doing all the things I should. Was I? Yeah, I was a primary teacher, activity war or activity days person. So it was the same primary class. It was the, the girls that were the younger activity day girls. That's what I was doing. Both of those. Which was fun for me since I had mostly boys. So I was enjoying that because normally they always put me in nursery. Right. <laughs> I was in nursery a lot. <laughs> um, so the one of my nurses, or no, my mom, I called, when I called my mom, she was, when I called her to tell her what was going on, she was reading an article in the Enzyme that was about mm -hmm. um, infant loss and how to cope. Yeah. Weird that she was reading that article right when well, that was going I mean, down, Can right? I pontificate on this for a minute? <laughs> well, it's always like, yeah, go isn't for it. that such a strange coincidence that they were reading this Ensign article at just the right time, but it doesn't take into consideration all the times a disaster happened yeah. and they were not reading an Ensign article that had to do with that? Like it's... <laughs> oh yeah. yeah we look for the little yeah. miracles we want to see the little miracles we it, it gives us like confirmation that what yeah. we're believing and is it, true it does it like we're look, we exactly look for coincidence. yeah exactly it doesn't always work yeah <laughs> so I, i'm letting my nurse know about this and she goes and finds the article for me and prints it off 
This is also the next general conference. So general conference was on when I was at the hospital. And so this is in so Idaho? That's kind of, yeah. Different. Yes, this is in Idaho. Idaho is a right to live state. So I wasn't duped. Uh, they didn't just go in and like, have a DNC. Oh, they wanted me to have him. But he was toxic. To well, I, like body. I'm in Canada. Oh, so people can just get um, abortions if they want. So uh, for for people who don't live in the, the dystopia of the United States, can you just expand on what a right to live state is? So right to live state yeah. is if you are past the first trimester, you need no matter to try what. to have the baby naturally. So if it... As naturally as you can. Yes. No matter what, to the health of the mother, it does not matter. You're going to try some... to do your best to... Yeah. So even though the baby deceased, like there, he wasn't going to live through this. Like he was, the heartbeat was already gone. It had been gone for a week, but they still chose to like do I've this heard of there's, there's some right like a calcified pregnancy or something like that where the the fetus uh, doesn't make it and it becomes calcified. Like in that yeah. case, in 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 the yeah. Handmaid's Tale, like Gilead, Idaho, you would have to deliver that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Like they induced me, they didn't even give me pain medication. They didn't give me an epidural. They just induced me. That is so painful. <laughs> I'd had an epidural with all my other ones. And I was like, why aren't you giving me drugs? Like he's not like, at least make me comfortable. Like I'm okay with like having him. That was not my problem. It was like, I don't want to be in pain while I'm going through this. Like I'm already emotional and already feeling like it's my fault. This baby is dying because I didn't want it anymore. And that I was going through this stressful relationship. Like I'm dealing with all my internal conflict while also trying to like go through this physical trauma. And the baby was so toxic to me that I went into, I had like 104 fever and I did that all night long. They finally did give me an epidural, but I literally got to the hospital. It was probably like one in the afternoon and I think I was induced by like three and it's 6, 7 a.m. is when my doctor comes in with the top OBGYN in Idaho Falls and is like, you're going out of my scope of practice. I'm handing you over to him. He finally does come out. And he, perfect body, perfect arms, perfect hands, perfect legs, perfect feet. But his head was really misshapen. And that was from like my really high temperature. Um. But then the placenta didn't want to detach. They were trying to give me, they wanted to give me 24 hours before they took me in for a DNC. But since the placenta didn't want to detach, I went in for a DNC anyways. So go have my DNC, like doing that. My bishop at the time had come to see me. He, uh, his family owns a funeral home. So he offers to cremate the baby for me. Um, and all I need to do is pay for like the, the container. I can't remember what they're called, urns of some type. Um, so they, the church was insanely supportive during this. My ex and his new wife, they come and they're supportive and she's gone through a stillborn. So she's giving me all this like comfort. My husband at the time 
I didn't even say this. His mom had called and told him what was going on. So he ends up coming to the hospital and I'm laying there like in pain because they had already induced me by this point. And he comes up and he like, this is just goes to show you like that certain men just don't even know like the right things to say sometimes. Cause he asked me, are you okay? And I guess I just gave him a look and his mom like grabs him and takes him out to the hallway. Cause she could just tell I was going to be like, no, I'm not okay. Like I'm going like this baby is gone. I'm going through all this guilt. Like, no, I'm not okay. Like that was a very stupid question. Like, why would you forget? Well, if I can just speak on behalf of my gender, it's, <laughs> yeah, go I ahead. Speak like, on behalf um, of your gender. <laughs> just the way men are kind of raised is to be socially, or not socially, but emotionally stunted. And, and yes, you're you're taught to not have emotions. I remember right? telling my and own so boys you, that you shouldn't cry. You walk in, and <laughs> you walk into I'm an emotionally heavy that, so. situation like that, and it's like you've got to run through your brain. What am I supposed to, how am I supposed to behave right now? Mm-hmm. I am supposed, I'm supposed yeah. to what show supposed concern to- and empathy. Yeah. Survey says the number one question to ask when you're trying to be empathetic is, are you okay? So that is the question I will ask in order to appear yeah. empathetic because yeah. I have not been taught well how to be genuinely empathetic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't yeah, like I didn't yeah. say anything back to him. I just had a look uh, on I, my face uh, that she knew that I was like, I know the look having done right the exact same thing <laughs> many times and having received the same look many times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to explain like, th- yeah. this is how the male brain processes tense emotional situations. Yeah, I, I know. And I should, I shouldn't give him such a hard time but like up to that point For I was sure. so like disappointed in him that I was just like you promised me all these things and you yeah. are failing in yeah. every For aspect sure. it's, of it's more like I'm not I just need to try and the inject some humor in here to <laughs> yeah no you're totally fine because it's true like, yeah. like I know that I do come across like a bitch sometimes and that I let my emotions get the best of me and I can lash out at people and I cannot be nice. So I will like, I'm self-aware enough to know that, that I don't always handle things the right way. I wasn't taught how to handle conflict. I wasn't taught how to resolve conflict because For I sure. never saw and my I didn't, parents I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to insinuate anything about how you handled it. I, I, I just wanted to give in, insight yeah. into the male brain no, handling it's just, situations. No, But so it's harder for me to like, like I said, I didn't know how to like deal with these problems. I didn't know how to deal with the conflict. I didn't know how to like come up with a way to resolve the issues that were there. And I I don't know if my second, if I could have, I realized now, I think I could have done a lot different with my first. I think we could have done things and come to like, some sort of agreement or arrangement Mm -hmm. and we tried, but like I said, we tried everything, at least with him. I feel like we tried for eight and a half years. We tried, but with this one, I just was so confused and just didn't understand. Like 
what our relationship was or where it was going. Like, I didn't get it. Like, I was like, why am I, what, why is all of this happening? Like, I'm trying to go to church and do all the right things. And this is what happens. Like, okay, so this is obviously mm-hmm. God or the universe intervening in a way is how I tended to see it. And saying like, okay, well, this isn't the right time to have a baby or, you know, whatever it was. Or maybe this is your sign that you do not want to have a baby with this man, judging mm-hmm. by how he treated you during this time. <clears throat> but what ends up happening after is just kind of crazy. I ended up having to go in for a second DNC because I kept bleeding even after. So then they went in and they find tubers and fibrous no. cysts and all this other stuff. Luckily, everything came back clean and not cancerous. But that was like another like nail at me that I was just, okay, yeah. well, now I'm having all these health issues. This is fun. So I'm already depressed and already, yeah. Um, we, I'm like trying to say, think how to say this. He wasn't very, like, he tried to be concerned, I think, during that time. But at the same time, his his emotions, like you were saying, like, men are kind of like, I don't want to say emotionally stunted. Yeah. But they're taught to suppress their emotions. And I was very sad. And I think a lot of that has to do with my own guilty feelings of, like, not wanting it and then it happening that it doesn't come to pass. The emotions of my parents or my kids being so excited and then being heartbroken when they lose their little brother. So it was just all these things. And I was was trying really hard because my mom would say, like, just be honest and tell him if you're having a hard day. So he worked nights at this time, and I was having a really hard day that day, and I was crying a lot. So I texted him to say, like, I've been crying a lot. I'm having a hard day. He comes home on his break. Was it his break? No, he'd come home like he'd just gotten off work. Pretty much comes in when I'm I'm sitting on the bed crying. And he was like, you, like, why are you crying again? Like, so what? You lost a baby. Get the fuck over it. And I just so happened to have a cup of water in my hand. So I chucked it at him. Cause I was just like, yeah. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> like, I understand that I, I need to stop crying and that you're getting upset with how emotional I am. But like, wow. Like you lost a baby too. Like where are your emotions through this? Like, why aren't we sharing our pain? Why aren't we? I don't know. I, I just was very, yeah. I, I throw a glass or a cup of water. It wasn't glass. It was plastic. But he then comes over, grabs me by my hair, drags me through the house, chucks me into the garage against the car, and then slaps me across the face twice and pretty much tells me to get the fuck out. I think I cried in the car for about two hours. And then I went back in because the next day was Thanksgiving. And I said... I'm leaving with the boys tomorrow to go have dinner with my sister's husband's family in Malad, which is only a couple hours away. And I said, I'm going to keep going to Utah and then probably keep going to California. I'm going to go home for the weekend. 
I'm taking the boys. Like, I'll be out in the morning. Like, I'm just going to try to get some rest because I'm going to drive. And he's like, okay. So I slept on the couch. Wake up in the morning and I'm getting my kids ready and also trying to help his kids get ready. And they were supposed to go to their mom's. And while I'm getting them ready, he is walking around the house saying, do you see what you're doing? You're breaking up this family. Do you like, and the kids are saying, like his kids are saying, mom, we want to come with you. And I was like, you're going to go see mama, your other mama today. Like you're going to go have fun with her. Like it's all going to be, you're going to go to a restaurant and go eat Thanksgiving dinner. Like, and I'm trying to be like very positive and upbeat about what's happening. And I'm like, he's literally sitting there saying all of this in front of the kids. Like you're breaking apart our family. I can't believe you're doing this. Like, do you see what your mom's doing? Like, to my boys, that's what he's saying. Do you see what she's doing? Do you see, like, how she's behaving? And all I'm trying to do is just get us out of the freaking house. Because I was like, I cannot. End up going to Thanksgiving dinner. Then I keep going to California. I stopped at my brother's in Utah to spend the night. And I'm telling kind of them what happened. And I remember even my nephew, who didn't really know what was going on, but he was a teenage boy at the time. He, I guess, went up to his dad and was like, he hit her, didn't he? And my brother just kind of like nodded his head, yes. Because he, I, I don't think anybody in my family knew what to do at that point. Because I'm telling them what happens and they're just like, wow. Like, okay. Like, uh, what do we do? How do we protect her while still like giving her the advice she needs as far as like religious, religion is concerned, as far as marriage is concerned? Like, how do we handle this? Because, of course, they're not going to tell me to go get a divorce. Yeah. Right? Even though I'd already been divorced, that's not what their their advice is going to be. When I go down to see my family, like, my dad gives me a blessing. I remember also having a conversation with another sister-in-law, and I was telling her the story. And I had said, like, what happened? And she's like, well, I've never felt the need oh, to throw a cup of water at someone. So I took that as, okay, well then I deserved it. Like I deserved what happened. Can I jump, can I jump in for a minute? And then when I, I just think like, um, yeah, of course. It leaving gender equality and stuff like that aside for a minute, I think there's just kind of this, almost universal understanding with people that like you don't attack people who are, are you still there who are at a physical or mental disadvantage from you right and so if um i said something insensitive or or rude yeah. i think you know it's just based but but just like, like based on the, the size difference between me and my wife I'd say it's very, very unlikely that she could physically do something to seriously hurt me. Um, but on the other side, it's highly likely yeah. that I could be physical in a way that could uh, seriously hurt her. Um, so if I did or said something insensitive mm -hmm. or, or mean or something like that, and she threw a cup of water at me, or slap me across the face or something like that. It's like the, her doing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It might not be, and I, she never has, but I'm just saying in that situation, the retaliatory force 
that I, I didn't could hear that last part. It kind of broke up. Give back is just it's so disproportionate mm-hmm. that that it could never be justified, yeah. right? It's kind of that's that's my thought here while yeah. you're explaining this is that, and and so for your it, your family to say, well, you did incite it. It's hey, do you know what? There's there's something to be said about when you're in a position of power or strength, you don't attack people who are weaker than you. That's what abuse is, is using your power to harm somebody who's yeah. weaker. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. you throwing a cup of water doesn't even shine a candle on, on how he uh, retaliated and his, his potential. I'm get, just guessing, I'm assuming just based on yeah. the sizes of men and women, Generally, he was probably taller. I'm guessing physically stronger. Okay, there we go. Uh, I'm only five so, one. So you'd have to, you know, be yeah. one hell of a, a bodybuilder <laughs> at five one for him to really be at a physical disadvantage. To yeah, that's just my my thought here. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Like. Uh, I know yeah. abuse on, on male so, spouses I mean, is underreported and I don't want to be insensitive to that, but I'm just kind of saying like, like, let's, let's get a clue here. No. And I will, I will, yeah. I will say I'm not innocent. Like I obviously antagonized it anymore. Yeah. Or I antagonized, antagonized it more, but I will also say that when you are in those situations, mm-hmm. like even with my first husband, even with my father, that physical stuff, had mm-hmm. always like been there, like I had always got it. So it was like I mm-hmm. would, I think I was just retaliating as well when I, because I would be hurt. And so I, you're just in this traumatic thing where you just are just lashing out right. at each other. Like it's not like I was innocent. So I, I'm never trying to sound like I'm completely mm-hmm. the victim because I realize that there are things I should not have said, things I should not have done. Mm-hmm. But when you're in those moments, the window, like yeah. rational thoughts kind of go out the window, <laughs> you know, they're just, they're not really there. And also part of being bipolar mm-hmm. is we have impulse control issues where you're just yeah. very impulsive and you do things that are risky. That's kind of part of your personality kind of. And that's, that can be detrimental to those kind of relationships because you just, Yeah. Right. Like word vomit and just, bleh. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you say things that you probably shouldn't. <clears throat> so obviously I went to my family. I got a blessing from my dad. When I'm heading back, I, I drop off my boys with their dad. I say, thank you for letting me keep them all weekend because I wasn't supposed to. And I kind of let him know what's going on so that he's well aware. And then I go back to the house and I have a cop meet me. And the police officer and I are standing outside and he said, if for any reason you decide to not press charges, all you have to do is give me a look. I know the look. I've seen it many times. Just no. And I was like, there is no way I'm not going to press charges. Like I have bruises and I have Mm -hmm. pictures of the bruises. Like I'm going all in. Like I'm yeah. like this. We're going down. (laughs) I guess it's going down. And I guess the kids had been, his kids had been watching. And so they ran out the front door when I'm starting to walk up. And his son says, mom, 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 we prayed and prayed and prayed uh-huh. that you would come home. 
And I just, I looked at the police officer. He just nodded his head and went back to his car and drove off. I stayed for mm -hmm. another six months, like with him. But at that point too, I was so, like I was numb and I wasn't, like I wasn't giving him the reactions he wanted. I, he said, well, he would say things to get a reaction out of me and I wasn't going to play that game anymore. Mm -hmm. So I was very unreactive to anything and everything he said. Cause I think I learned like, okay, well you antagonized it. So you're just going to not react. Although that would piss him off even more. Cause then he wasn't getting a reaction, but it was like yeah. the only way that I could mentally cope with the fact that I stayed. And I know I only stayed for his children. Like, I know that's the reason. And we also, I also had a conversation with his dad because obviously everything got told like what went down and what happened and he wanted to know. So I'm letting him know the story and uh -huh he was like, well, what did you do first? Like what caused this reaction from him? So once again, I'm being told like you did something to cause him to behave this way. Like this is on you. And I'm already, I already have like no yeah. self-worth and don't love myself at all. <laughs> and already think I'm a shitty person because of my own feelings towards myself. Like my whole life, I never felt good. And even talking with the bishop and they were saying, okay, well, we're going to put you in counseling. I also did counseling mm -hmm. another time when I lived in Utah. I did counseling that time too. But that was an LDS counselor. And I thought a woman was going to be better, but I felt way more judged by her yeah. than I think I would have felt by a man. So, cause she just did not understand. And I, I don't think they were also educationally like taught to yeah. know how to deal with like the oh, mental sure issues that the church brings. Yeah. And like our own. Yeah. yeah. They're just, they don't have like the right tools or they're not taught to have the right tools because they're yeah. so involved in the church that they think things are a certain way as well. So, um, okay. So is that kind of the end of that uh, relationship or Um, well, I mean, it, it got nasty because then my mm -hmm. ex, the, the baby, like my boys, dad, um, he was taking my boys and to a, uh, detective yeah. with child care service or with child protective services. Yeah. Um, because he thought something else was going on and I go in to the same, I find out who the detective is. And I was like, Hey, look, this first, this is being done without my knowledge. Second, like, just talk to me, tell me what's like mm -hmm. happening. Like, what am I not seeing? What am I missing? And this detective was like, well, why don't you just give me your story? And so I kind of start telling my story and he's like, wow, you actually have more on your ex-husband than they do on you. Yet they're the ones who are bringing you like into oh, this. Wow. And I was like, he's like, I've never had that happen before. And I was like, well, all I care about is that my boys are happy and healthy. Like, so however mm -hmm. this goes down, like, that's all I care about. Like, let's just, yeah. <clears throat> because of that all going down, second husband decides that he no longer wants to deal with it and that he doesn't want to be, like, involved. 
which to me is mm-hmm. kind of a red flag saying like, there's something going on that you aren't telling me. <clears throat> so pretty much when mm-hmm. he said that, I was like, well, there's a door. You don't have to deal with it. So he leaves. <laughs> he leaves and moves like his shit out. And like, obviously we're in a ward yeah. where we all live right next yeah. to each other. So they all see him leaving and packing his stuff. Right. Immediately. Like my Bishop brings me in. He's talking to me and I'm telling him what went down. And he's just like, Oh my gosh. Well, he came in and he told me that I had been cheating on him, that I had been the one to abuse him, that I had, like, he literally flipped yeah. the script and told the bishop, like, all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. I was just so, like, dumbfounded because I was just like, wait, what? And it just blew my mind that he was going to do that. But then I, I mean, I obviously started realizing he had a, he was a pathological liar. He lied to me about a lot of different things. And at first I like brush it off like, oh, he's just exaggerating. And I exaggerate yeah. sometimes too. So I'm like, okay, you know, like it happens. <laughs> Not realizing that some of these facts that he had told me were so, like it was such bullshit. And I believed it for so yeah, long. Yeah, like yeah. I just felt very bamboozled. Is that the right word? <laughs> Like, I just felt I had just gotten tricked. I was just like, what the hell is going on? Um, It did end up with me having to get a protection order against him because of the abuse and the fact that he would not leave certain things alone. And I was really scared because after I got, I had like a temporary protection order put in place, Um, especially because like... Yeah. I mean, I, I told you what went down and it's not like it got easier during this time either, yeah. either. Like, yeah, I wasn't reacting, but he still was wow. not nice. <laughs> yeah. Because <clears throat> he was trying to get that reaction from me. So I get the protection order and I find out afterwards, like after the protection order is put in place, that um, he had been hitting my kids when I wasn't around. And when I say like, oh, one of them, he stepped on his neck. One of him, he pushed him down and told him that he was a loser, just like his father and that he would never like be anything. Um, like, yeah. Which is probably a good thing. The protection order was in place. Cause it goes both ways. Cause I think yeah. I would have like ran him over with my car. I was, beyond like livid about it wow i obviously had to like cut most of his family as well and i couldn't talk to his kids that was like the hardest part for me is that i couldn't have communication with them i did end up becoming insanely close with his ex-wife um and her mom and found out like that's where i kind of found out a lot of the lies that like he had missed represented the whole situation. And I now actually understand mm-hmm. a lot of what she was going through and I get why she did what she did. And she was only you know, 18 when all that went down, 19. So like how, I can't blame this child 
who was married to someone who the only reason they got married was because otherwise he was going to get put in oh, jail. Oh, wow. Okay. Because he was 18 yeah. and she was 16. Yeah. And, you know, because when he told me, it sounded like they were just madly in love. And then things went crappy. But that's not really, like, how things went down. I actually ended up doing a character reference for when she went back for primary custody. And I actually helped her get primary custody. And all I did for that character reference was really write down my Mm -hmm. story and what happened to me and what I witnessed with his own children. And even though I said, like, I know he loves them, but this man is not okay. Like, he's got issues. (laughs) Um, he also, he responded to the protection order, but he didn't respond to the divorce. So I was actually granted a divorce in 21 days because of failure to respond. Yeah. That part was easy. Protection order, because we actually had to go to court and like get up in front of a judge and like say our story. And also at this time, just because I can to tell you what kind of a human being he was when he moved all of his stuff, he took my, okay. Jeremiah is what we named him the stillborn because that means God will raise up in my head. That sounded like a good idea. (laughs) And all of my other boys are Hebrew names. So I was kind of sticking with the theme and he took his ashes and like the memory box that I was given but did not take his own children. So he's just being spiteful. And I think the only reason, yeah, he was just being spiteful, especially because when I held the baby at the hospital, he wouldn't stay in the room with me. He didn't want to be there. He didn't want to see him. So like, to me, I was just like, what? Like, you don't make any sense. You're just being like a spiteful. And I remember my lawyer in the courtroom yelling at him as he was walking out. Hey, we want those ashes back. (laughs) It actually ended up being his ex-wife that got the ashes back for me. She was picking up her kids and saw the box and grabbed them. But I also gave her the baby books that he left because I was like, he moved out. He's not allowed to come back here. So I'm going to just give them to her because, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of how that one went. Um, So where I'm at in the church at this point was this is when I kind of went – gung-ho um when i was talking to the brother in utah about everything that went down he told me that and i know he meant well i'm not trying to shit on my brother right now like i know all of my Mm -hmm. family when they gave me this advice it was coming from a good place i know that but at the same time i'm seeing Mm -hmm. the detriment that it did to me in that process so he said Satan doesn't really want me. He wants my boys because they are future priesthood holders. So at this point, even though I know I'm not the good Mormon girl I'm supposed to be, and I'm not like the straight laced Molly Mormon, whatever. I was like, does not matter. He wants my boys. I'm going gung ho into this church thing. And this Bishop, which was Mm -hmm. super supportive and like, he's gone through so much with me already. And this ward was absolutely amazing. I will say that they are amazing human beings. And I was very close to a lot of them. And one of the ladies who is my activity days partner and uh, my primary like partner, 
she had also been divorced, had also been in an abusive relationship. I think he purposely set me up with her because he knew that she was going to understand a lot of my issues and like what I was going through. So Mm -hmm. I start going, going, ho. he says, let's get you to the temple. Um, Because that had been something that me and my second husband were going to work towards. But he was like, let's just do it. You just go. You take out your endowments. I was like, okay. So when I go to take out my endowments, which was, that was like a whole different experience too. Because you've been to the temple. I grew (laughs) up thinking that this temple was like this magical place where all these insane things can happen and you're going to feel so incredible Mm -hmm. and it's just going to make everything better. Oh yeah. (laughs) Naive. (laughs) But that's my thoughts were, I also was scared to go to the temple and I even told my Bishop this. I was like, well, I'm not perfect. Like I'm not where I need to be. Yes. I'm paying my tithing. Yes. I'm going to church and I'm fulfilling my callings and I'm doing like, I'm reading scriptures with the boys or praying And he was like, you don't have to be perfect. Like, we're just striving for that. Like, you know, and I was like, okay, all right, I can do this. Yeah, we got this. And I remember being at the temple and my mom's bawling her eyes out. And I just kept thinking, okay, number one, this is very weird. I'm very uncomfortable. Second off, like, I didn't really learn anything I didn't already know. Mm-hmm. except for certain things that just made me feel like I am in a cult. Yeah. Yeah. And this is some strange ass shit. <laughs> and I'm not like, I was just like, I like got worked myself into a frenzy feeling like I wasn't worthy enough to go here. And this is what it is. <laughs> That's an interesting response. That's a very interesting response. Yeah. It was just very odd. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think I didn't like the temple and that's where I kind of lost a lot of my even wanting to have faith and be in, but I was trying for my boys. No, you keep going. During this time though. Oh, sorry. Continue. (laughs) I'm sorry. I do talk a lot. I apologize. (laughs) And hopefully I'm making sense as I'm explaining things. So after I had the stillborn, I did end up going in for um, depression medication because I just felt awful. Like I just really, just really sad. Like, and I couldn't get myself out of that funk. But once I got in the depression medication, then I found out that I have anxiety. So then I get on anxiety medication and then I can't sleep. So then I'm starting sleeping pills. And I feel like those kind of masked what I was actually going Mm -hmm. through. And it just ended up going to like a whole different place. Um, When I was the most involved in church and going to the temple with my friends that I had at the time, even though I'm uncomfortable and I'm not liking it, I'm still doing going through the motions. I tried to kill myself twice during that summer 
because not only was I, I had three callings because they had me as primary, the activity days, and then they called me to girls camp. And they added Relief Society uh, Committee, which that one wasn't as bad. It was like every four months you had something coming up. But like that's a lot on anyone. I am also a single mom going to school full time at nursing school and trying to raise three boys and taking them to football practice and wrestling practice and all of the things. I just couldn't hack it. That's how I felt. Like I just wanted to go to sleep and never wake up because I was just exhausted and drained and felt like I couldn't do this. And especially when I was fighting with the boys' dad, because like I said, he kind of hits below the belt too. And he knows exactly which put, bush, put uh, mm-hmm. buttons to push to like kind of send me over the edge. I end up at a mental hospital um, twice. One for five days. I actually went into like a longer term one. And then another one for three. <clears throat> But I just, I hated myself and I felt like the best thing to do was, I kind of compared myself to, uh, what's that Bible parable where it's the mom and like the other mom are fighting over the child and the king decides to cut the child in half and it's the real mother that's like, I don't want the child cut in half. I'm going to cut him over. Like she can keep him. That's kind of how I, I felt. Yeah. That I, that's the way I, I felt because I was just like, I obviously can't cut it. Like, I'm not the good person that I'm supposed to be. And like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just want to be done with this existence that we have. When I was in for five days, I had a therapist that was absolutely amazing and was willing to work with me on a lot of like different aspects of like what I had been going through. And I absolutely appreciate him. I went to him for two years. He's actually the one that said, I think we need to um, go to a psychologist and get you a diagnosis. Cause I think you're bipolar. So that's when I found out that. And that made a lot of sense to me, but also at this time I am lying to the boys' dad and saying that I was in the hospital for some heart thing and that it was, I just had a bad reaction to my pills because I didn't want to tell him where I was at mentally because I thought he was going to take the boys away from me. And I was still clinging to that, which is so fucked up of me. And I'm really mad that I wasn't just honest and telling people exactly how I was feeling. But I also think that mental stigma of like what other people think comes into play in that. And I didn't want to admit that I was feeling this way. And even though he knew, like it's yeah. he's not stupid. I'm sure they were very aware. <clears throat> just kind of all went to like this bad place. But I know it does not come like go past me that the time when I was the most suicidal was when I was the most involved in the church. So like as a result of your stay, I don't think uh, I separate the two in a hospital. Like, is this where you just start saying like, I've got to get away from this or. Yeah. 
No. And that's the amazing part. I clung even harder onto the church. Wow. Okay. And <clears throat> I had a, but yet I'm mm -hmm. still not being obedient because I'm still having my boyfriends. Because <laughs> even though I, I stayed single for quite a bit after my second, just because I was not ready for anything. But once I started dating, like I still was not ready for something and I should have been alone for a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. I, I think I did a whole six months of like nothing. But I also was with him for six months where I felt nothing for him. So I right. felt like I was already emotionally done with the relationship, but I was still there. So it was probably a year of like, I did go find the guy that my second husband accused me of cheating with and did right. go sleep with him just because I'm spiteful. Do it. I was like, well, you accused me of it anyway, so I might yeah. as well go out and do it. This is not a healthy attitude to have. Well, I, like, uh, but it is what it life's is. Life's just a bit of live and learn uh, I, sometimes, right? Like you, you go out and, and do that, but you, uh, I guess, yes. you know, in, in hindsight, yeah. you realize maybe that's not what you should have done and you get a little bit better each time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully we're getting a little bit better out each time. But I right. noticed that I had a pattern of repeating the same mm -hmm. mistakes and repeating the same patterns. Um, so that's, I've got to break that cycle. And that's been quite a process because even after my second husband, the next boyfriend I had, oh, he went a little crazy on me too. Like, mm -hmm. And I ended yeah. up breaking up with him because I couldn't see being married to him in the temple. I remember I went to the temple and that's, I tried to picture so us and point? I couldn't picture us. So I was like, oh, we're done. <laughs> but it also had a lot to do with his ex-wife and that so dynamic. And at what point uh, yeah. in time so, do you start, like, does the church start to at fall At what apart? point what? Uh, oh, okay. Another Mormon? Or? So I actually get married again. Oh, okay. <laughs> And this guy was a return missionary okay. and he had been married two times as well. And it had some pretty crazy relationships as well. So I am sitting here thinking, yeah. okay, he's gone through the shit too. Like he gets it. Like we're going to be great. And he has two kids that he actually adopted from his second wife because mm -hmm. she had had a hit from a previous, them from a previous marriage. And then he adopted them and then they end up getting divorced, but he still like, I loved them too. Like loved being a stepmom and I loved having yeah. stepdaughters because that was fun for me because I only had boys. <laughs> but I don't love my boys and I definitely did. And I loved all the sports and I loved dirt, dirt bikes and all the things that we would do together. But yeah. it was just fun to have the girl. Um, our relationship was, this is the problem when you sit there and you say, okay, well, he's gone through a lot of stuff too. You both have baggage and you both have things from the past relationships that have traumatized you and then are going to come yeah. out like towards each other. He was someone who also has a lot of narcissistic tendencies. He is very successful. He's very charming, very charismatic, says the right things, you know, and I loved listening to him speak Spanish because he had gone to a Spanish mission and he would talk to people and I'd just be like enthralled. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and <clears throat> it was also interesting to have somebody else who had been to the temple as well, because 
neither one of my other exes had gone to the temple. So they didn't understand that aspect. And we didn't get married in the temple, but that's because he still was working through some stuff. And obviously I, we weren't, we did things before we were married too. So that kind of, yeah. And in all honesty, I never should have married the guy. I should have realized from the very beginning that he was still very hung up on the kids' as mom. Um, he chose her feelings above mine a lot. He would, he even told me he would rather fight with me than with her. So it created a lot of tension because I just felt like I wasn't the priority with when it came to him and we probably shouldn't have been together. Like I never should have married him, but I, like I said, mm-hmm. I fall in love with the potential and I was like, no, we got this. We're going to be great. And I think it was very delusional going into that because now I look back and I'm like, dude, those, those, the signs were there for you not to do this. And my second trip to the metal mental hospital was actually because me and him got in a fight. Like the first, mm-hmm. first time was because my, the boys' dad and I got in a fight. And I just couldn't handle it. And this time it was because of him. And my therapist even was like, he's not doing the things that you need to feel good about, like your relationship. Like he's not giving you that validation and that, Mm -hmm. like, why are you in this? Like he kept saying that to me. And I kept like, no, it's great. It's fine. And he even went to one of my therapist sessions with me and my therapist even called him out. And he said, you know, that everything, cause I, we worked a lot on me being completely mm-hmm. honest about my feelings all the time, instead of bottling them up. That was something we were working on. So I was trying to like, I even said when we were dating is for any reason you want to get back together with the boys or with your kids' mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to stand in your way. Cause I don't want to stop a family from being together. And he was like, oh, no, there's no way we would ever get back together. The day after we got married, I found a text message on his phone from him and his, like him and his ex-wife going back and forth because she was saying, why her? Why did you marry her? And he said, me and her will never have what you and I had for sure. Like, I understand that. But she's still like, like, I mean, yeah, he said I was like a good person, whatever, but like, literally comparing us and saying like, we'll never have what you and I have. Oh my gosh. So how long, like how long did this one go on for before you? Right. Okay. This one lasted for two years. (laughs) So same as the other one was, I guess it was like two and a half years, but yeah, this one lasted for two years. Um, I was a freaking mess Mm -hmm. about a year into it is when I actually got a DUI for all of my bipolar medications. I was on, I got a DUI eight 30 in the morning with my youngest in the car. We were on our way to a wrestling tournament. And so I got a DUI and endangerment to child Mm -hmm. at this time. I was working as a nurse because I had finally graduated nursing school and I almost lost my nursing license because of it, but because I got the endangerment to child dropped, but I had to accept the DUI. Uh, the judge didn't even let my lawyer talk. So at this time, like I'm wearing garments, I blew a 0.003 times, but they are so literally the, treating me like I am an so, addict. Okay. So because of the medications you're taking because for I was bipolarity, on my bipolar you weren't 
like the cop notices that you're kind of not driving, like you're not staying and you're swerving a bunch. He pulls you, he thinks you're drunk. I was swerving. And right. I guess, yeah, I wasn't staying in the lanes. Yeah, I wasn't staying in the lanes, I guess. I was also not driving my normal car. I was, my oh, okay. son wanted to take, at the time, my husband's yeah. truck, which is a lot bigger than, I drove it to gotcha. Cherokee and he had like a big lifted truck. And so they pulled over because I was yeah. swerving, which I, I know I swerve and I'm a horrible driver. I already know that. But it was also just a big vehicle. And I was trying to like help my son eat his breakfast at the same time because we were on our way to the wrestling tournament. And I needed him to be like, so I wasn't right. paying as close to attention. Like I, I, I fully admit that I should have gotten pulled over. Also, to put into context, like, yes, I was, had all my bipolar medication, and I told you, like, okay. how strong those are. At this point in time, I'm on nine different medications. Um, <clears throat> and also, the day before I got pulled over, I didn't I – w- I was a hospice nurse. I had changed somebody's fentanyl patch. The fentanyl patch, when I went to go stick it in my pocket – Um, it actually went up my sleeve of my sweatshirt that I didn't notice until I got to, Mm -hmm. um, my job to do all my charting because I would go home to home and I didn't realize until I got home from my charting and like, I just took it off and threw it in the garbage, not thinking anything of it that had been on my hand for or my arm for probably a good two hours, three hours. And so that played into my DUI as well. Mm -hmm. Like I said, the judge didn't even want to like hear it. Um, in his eyes, I was a Mormon nurse that was abusing medication. They didn't even look at my psychiatrist notes. I had been on all of those medications, maybe not all of them, but I'd been working with my psychiatrist for three years. He wrote a three page letter on why I was on every single medication and my reactions to them. And that I never had a like reaction in the past like this. So first offense, right? So this ends up pushing you over the edge into. It was just, yeah, this will, it did, but there, I guess the DUI didn't even happen until after in January, I had a gallbladder attack and I had to get my gallbladder removed and I had to take a medical leave of absence because I right. I'd gotten my LPN, okay. but I was now in nursing school to get my RN. So I have a medical leave of absence. So I'm already depressed because of that and depressed because I'm not working because I'm so sick and it took me months to get my surgery. So then I get, I'm starting to work again and I get the DUI. And obviously like they, like I'm about to lose my job. And so I went into like a deep depression where I did not want to get out of bed. I also had been so sick to that point that I was in bed a lot. So then my husband and I are fighting about that. He's to the point where he's drinking. The second he got home, he would drink like a bottle of liquor and mm-hmm. pass out on the bathroom floor. Like that was like a nightly ritual. And at first I would like throw the pillow on the blanket down on the floor and be like rub his back while he's puking. I stopped doing that because I was just like I hate you. Like, I'm so, why are we doing this? And then we'd fight because he would be like, you're being lazy. You're not getting out of bed. And I was just so depressed. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if he had probably just hugged me and been like, Hey, mm-hmm. we got this. We're going to get through it. I probably would still be with him. 
but because he didn't do that, like, and then I found out about multiple other women that he was talking to. And so I kind of flew off the handle. And um, when I found condoms, I was just really done. I was over it. (laughs) So I ended up, I asked for a divorce and I, my mom was concerned about my dad's health at the Mm -hmm. time. So she's like, why don't you move back home and help me with dad? So I'm talking to my boys about this because I'm realizing that in order to get away from this guy, like I need to leave because he also got abusive. I I had a black eye at one time. I will say that I'm the one who slapped him, but that was because he was like screaming Mm -hmm. at me in my face and I'm sitting on the couch and he was like towering over me. And I slapped him across the face and his knee-jerk reaction was to pull a fist, throw Mm -hmm. it back and just boom. And I end up with a black eye. Yeah. So very abusive again. (laughs) So I I literally, I felt like my only choice was to just go home Mm -hmm. and like reevaluate everything. But I was talking with my boys and I was like, do you feel like I'm abandoning you? I don't want you to feel like I'm abandoning you. And they're like, no, mom, go take care of grandpa. It's okay. We realize you need to get away from him. Because, I mean, I'm exposing yeah. them to every yeah. freaking toxic relationship one after another. It's not like they're not observing mm-hmm. things. And even though I try so to hide didn't... it, they're still seeing it. And I just, I felt like I completely failed. They, uh, so they didn't come uh, back to your parents' house with you? They, they stayed with, uh, with your husband at the time? Yeah. No, they wanted to stay in... Idaho because they loved the school they were at. They got to play all the sports. Um, yeah. And, and we were, mm-hmm. I will say we had a lot of issues with my youngest. He's quite the troublemaker. I think he is also bipolar. He had an impulse control problem, ADHD, behavior issues. Mm-hmm. He got suspended multiple times, then finally got expelled. Yeah. We, we even switched schools. We even dropped him a grade thinking that it was a maturity thing. It just, right. Yeah, it was just one thing after another. <laughs> so things were just really rough. <clears throat> um, but I still was clinging onto the church. Like I'm still trying to go to church during this time. I don't have a calling anymore because after my suicide attempt, I pretty much mm-hmm. told them, like I went into the bishop. I was like, I can't do this. And they were like, your primary responsibility is going to church and t- providing for your family. So we'll minister. I mean, they minister, still have me as like a ministering teacher, sister. Or what or do they call it now? Yeah. They changed the name for it, right? Ministering. Yeah. So I still like did that, but I wasn't, I didn't have like a call calling. So you take some time at home and um, then, uh, so what, like. And. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so I, I go home. Yeah, so I go home, and my my boys came with me for three weeks, yeah. and then I took them back, and then I had to go to court for my DUI. End up getting in a massive fight with the hus- third husband again. Yeah. We're not divorced at this time. Like, we hadn't, si- like, filed papers or anything. Um, He, the whole time I was back home in California, is begging and begging and begging me to come back and that we're going to work on this, and he loves me so much, and all of the things um, while his, while he was in the shower one day, cause I went and stayed with him when I had my visit or when I was up there for my court date, mm-hmm. 
I, his phone rang and I, it was his work phone. And I knew that he worked like a high, it was a high security profession yeah. where, yeah. you know, like you need to answer the phone if something's going to be going wrong. So I answered mm-hmm. it thinking I'm just going to say he's in the shower. He'll, she'll, he'll call you back. And it's a woman that starts talking to me because I say hello. And she's like, hi, who is this? And I was like, say who I am. And she's like, well, is blah, blah, blah there? And I was like, yeah. And um, he's in the shower. And she's like, one, well, who are you? And I'm like, his wife? And her response was, <laughs> he's married? Wow. And I was like, oh. Okay. So yeah, pretty oh, much yeah. I think I started yeah. loading up my U-Haul trailer like immediately and just left. Didn't even wait for him to get out of the shower. Like I had almost everything loaded. Yeah. But I just went and chucked the rest of my stuff in the car and I just left. I was just so done. Like you begged me to come back and then this is like what happens. Like I just I'm not gonna play this game. Like we're not doing this. Cause I had I mean, I could go on for hours of the emails I found and the phone text messages and the things that he would try to play me and his ex-wife against each other. He would talk shit to me about her and he would talk shit about me to her. So it was like we would hate each other like without even actually talking. It wasn't until the very end that me and her actually had like a really good conversation. And she's like, I'm realizing that he lied to me a lot about you. And I was So, okay. So that relationship's now fallen apart. So... Obviously, you've gone back to California. Have you taken the boys with you at this point? Um, Have you taken the boys with you at this point? I've gone back to California. What? No, they decided to stay with their dad. Mm -hmm. I I did take them with me for three weeks. But then when I went back, it was because I was dropping them off to start all their school stuff, like their school sports and everything that they were needing to like get ready for school. So that was one of the reasons we came back. And then I had my court date. And, you know, our fight, we also fought that. No, I guess that wasn't the time. So never mind. But we, I'm at home and I'm depressed and I'm in bed. And my dad's, my dad and I get in this massive argument because he was asking me, he said, when are oh, you going to start yeah. acting like a daughter of God? And my response back to him was, yeah. when are you going to start treating me like I'm a daughter of God? So, cue okay. me moving to Las so, Vegas okay, and cutting so, off my entire family. Like how long ago was that? Are we coming up to almost just, now or yeah. <laughs> was that two years ago, three years ago or. That was, mm-hmm. it would have been four years. I was there for a, in Las Vegas for a year. Um, that's when my boys decided they didn't want to talk to me anymore. Okay. Cause they said I lied about everything and they were done talking to me. Um, yeah, that just sent yeah. me into a bigger like, and I that at this point I want nothing to do with the church, just because of how my dad's acting and these, these husbands they, who are religious yeah. and God fearing, and I'm like, Psh. like no, I want so nothing th- to do with it. Yeah, and I had been given a lot of anti Mormon literature yeah. when I was getting divorced the first time, 
And I looked at it and I knew that it was like, Mm -hmm. the foundation was shaky. I knew that. But I just, Mm -hmm. I was like, but my parents believe it. My parents are smart people. My brothers believe it. They're smart people. Mm -hmm. Like, I kept trying to talk myself into it. And then this is like the first time that I was literally like, no. Like, my mental health does not. And it was actually during in Vegas that I realized that I was the most suicidal when I was the most involved. And I was just like, okay, I'm done with the church. Like I'm, that's not something I want for my life. I'm very pissed off at my family right now and how they're reacting to things. Cause they were disappointed that I was getting divorced again. And they, they just all had opinions like, Oh, yeah. here comes the youngest, the baby who can't get her things together. You know, she can't get her life together. Yeah. She keeps having relationship after relationship and just failing miserably. so I didn't talk to my dad again and actually until my mom called me after about living there for about a year and asking me Mm -hmm. to come home because they just had a family reunion that I did not go to (laughs) that I actually was supposed to plan. I kind of feel bad for that one because it was my turn. Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. Failing all (laughs) over the place, you know, just failing, failing at life. And my mom asked me to back home because uh, my dad's not doing well. And I was a hospice nurse. That's what I was trained in. So I moved back home. I was home for three years. And he wasn't doing well when I first moved back. And we kind of got him to a better place. And me and him were mm-hmm. actually able to heal the relationship that we had struggled with for so many years. Um, and I talked about my mental health and how mm-hmm. I felt about the church and he mm-hmm. understood why I felt that way. And I think I think that big fight when I said what I said, I think that was a wake-up call for him. Like, oh, I'm not yeah. treating her yeah. like one. So why, how she, why, why would she think she was one? And I think it made him take a second look at how he was handling situations. And I was very forthright with both of him and my mom saying, I want nothing to do with the church. I do not want to be contacted mm-hmm. I don't want you guys talking to me about it. Um, I did start to let my mom tell me stories. Like when she went, cause she was a temple worker. I'd yeah. like let her like share, yeah. but I didn't really have a lot to say. I was just kind of letting her share. Um, they were very good about if there was going to be like, there was like a church or mm-hmm. a family zoom meeting that was going to be like, church related. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, thank you. And they were very nice about that. I did have to send out a letter to my, all of my siblings saying, sorry for blocking you guys all for a year. I was going through some stuff and I kind of said my piece and said what I'd gone through. And it was like, this is where I'm at. Love you Mm -hmm. all. Like, please don't like, don't come at me is kind of what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, don't preach to me either. Like I'm not here for it. Um, so that was kind of that. And my dad did just barely pass away just this past April in, um, April. So this past April. Yeah. Yeah. We had a funeral in May. My boys, actually, my two oldest boys did come to that with their dad and stepmom. So I was very happy with that. Cause that was like the first step in, I feel like that relationship and I knew it wasn't for me. It was for my grandma mm-hmm. or for their grandma and for their grandpa. You know, that's why they were there. 
<clears throat> but it's those the, the just toxic relationship after toxic. And I, I talk a lot about even my talking more too about with my nieces and nephews, like I'm realizing the generational trauma and the church and what it does has affected all of us. They, we've had very, it blows my mind that it was my nephews left the church before I did. And I don't know why that makes me like, I'm proud, but at the same time, like, Jen, you should have been the example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I said my name again. You should have been the example. That, you should nope. have been the one that was yeah. like blazing the pathways. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So, but then listening to your guys' podcast, that's been more of a, like, I don't think I was even emotionally ready and mentally ready to even approach what the church actually teaches. I was just like, it mentally fucked me up. I'm not doing it. And now I'm getting into the, oh, like this all makes more sense now. You're being taught this over Mm -hmm. and over. Like it just makes, yeah. Wow. Wow. That I, you know, when you emailed me, you said you're, you've never had a guest like me before. And I think, no, I, we, we haven't, we've had a couple of people who said I first left the church cause I was disinterested or I was just like not happy. Um, but it really sounds like, wow, the church impacted I, I, you in a lot of ways that it, it doesn't impact the average member. And, uh, I it took you a while yeah. to realize. Yeah, it did. It's wow. Yeah. It's been quite a process. Um, yeah, I still have my angry days <laughs> Yeah, we, where, we, yeah, 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 but I appreciate you guys just having a platform to talk about it because I think all of us do have different experiences and it does affect us all in different ways and yeah. everyone has that story and someone can benefit from hearing that story. Some, for you know, sure is what yeah there there's definitely going to be somebody who's going to hear this who's in a similar situation and maybe maybe that gives them the courage to get out uh, uh sooner right uh to leave kind of I, I hope so i there's so many times i wish i had left sooner <laughs> yeah me too me too and, <laughs> um especially that, when i think that, about the effect it did have on my boys because I was telling them that this was right and that they should behave yeah. a certain way. And I was doing the same thing, like putting all this pressure and putting all these expectations on them. And I just, no, it's yeah. Be a good person, be kind, love everyone, <laughs> but also yeah. have those boundaries That's- up and don't let people treat you like shit just because they're, you know, someone that loves you. It's not. And just because they're family or just because they say they love you doesn't mean that how they're Mm -hmm. treating you is okay. Yeah, And it's up to us to say that's not okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're coming up on three hours here. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, I, so I've got, I've got kids. I got to get ready, get some no, lunch get for. No, your kids. I'm uh, so sorry. Okay, no problem. No, but this has been excellent. So you, you also have your own podcast. What's that called? I do. It's called my so-called bipolar life, and basically, okay. I kind of just go through 
generational trauma, organized religion, how that affects you mm-hmm. and your mental health, um, being bipolar and all the ways that it has affect, affected all of my different relationships. Right. So, so uh, and yeah. with that, and becoming more self-aware and how I'm kind of navigating the relationships now. Yes, please Yeah, anybody, yeah, if you've liked what you, you've heard today, that's uh, my so-called bipolar life. Uh, it's on Spotify so, and Anchor. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank it was you really so great much. Getting your story today. Hang out with your family. I'm so sorry for taking so okay. much time. Great. No problem. Nice talking <laughs> to you. Appreciate nice you. Later.